Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Brewhead. Welcome to episode 56 of Beer Nuts, the podcast, adjunct series, quarantine edition. This week, just before we start, we have the next few months, actually, uh, all the podcasts are going to be brought to you by a sponsor. Now, uh, any listeners or viewers will know that we don't really do this much. We've probably had a sponsor four or five times over the years. So this one, uh, you know, we're not just taking stuff from anybody, you know. So if we're working with a company, it means that we believe in them. Now, this episode of BOS is brought to you by Dr. Nick's Amazing Man Stuff. We had them on the podcast last week. Let me get my head out the way. There we go. Uh, they make a series of beard oils. They're based in Massachusetts. Now, um, if you listen to the podcast episode, you get to learn a lot more. But this is the, one of the main reasons. They actually made something here called Beard Beer with, uh, based on an IPA and a stout. Two different products um, for their beard oils. And they make them. It's all American made. They use essential oils and not the fragrance oils that are kind of cheap and, and itchy your skin and stuff. Um, this stuff is actually sent from Hawaii. All the bottles uh, and the caps, everything is all sourced locally. So it's hyper local without an exorbitant price. They're about 20 bucks US a bottle, which is pretty decent for all locally made uh, products. They also do a beard balm right here. Oh, let me get this up. I can't even hold it right. Look at that, mate. So this stuff is super sick. Uh, Nick was telling me on the podcast, he combines the balm with the IPA. So you put the IPA stuff on and then the balm. And uh, it's killer. The other products they have are um, whoa, their beard sanitizers. So he said literally called Shelter and Face, which is hilarious. He goes, say you're in, you know, you're in the car, or whatever, and you you got your mask on. You, you go do your thing. You come back. You spray it on your whole face, including the mask, because it sanitizes the mask, and then you smooth it through your beard, and it sanitizes your hands at the same time. So, kind of genius. I've been using these products since January. I've been sitting on them. I've been using them every day, and I'm not a beard oil kind of guy. I do have a uh, mild beard. You know, there are people with more fire ones than I. But uh, I've genuinely been enjoying them, which is why we decided to uh, partner up. So. The deal for any listeners or viewers, you can get 15% off your order with the code BAOS21. The link is in the description here on YouTube, and it will also be in the show notes on all uh, podcast platforms. So go cop that. It's free shipping if it's over $40 order. Literally two beard oils or two products will get you over that. Uh, they ship across all across North America, I believe elsewhere too. Um, I'm not sure about the free shipping deal though, but definitely take a look at that. So shouts to um, Dr. Nick's Amazing Man stuff now with that said, this evening, we have a podcast that I've wanted to do for a long time. It just hasn't worked out. These guys are partially responsible uh, for me getting into craft beer. They were one of the first Canadian and Ontario-based breweries that I ever got to drink. So I am extraordinarily stoked to have the guys on. So guys, please welcome Todd and Gary of Muskoka Brewery Boys. There we go. Hey, everyone. Bloody champions. Great to see you. How are you guys doing? Already drinking. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful thing, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, we were just talking about that earlier. The uh, the weather has been quite exceptional for uh, for all of us. So Canada is blessing us right now. And what better what better way to celebrate than cracking one of your brand new products? And we're going to get into a lot of stuff tonight. But we're going to start with the new stuff. Um, this is your hard sparkling water, peach and black currant. What a flavor combo as well. Um, before we even get to your history, boys, tell us about this one because this is fascinating. Yeah, so uh, it's 
Yeah, it's it's very easy. Just sparkling water with some peach and black currant. Very aromatic. Uh, the peach is going to be the the front runner for sure, and then yeah, the, yeah. the black currant will come in on the end. Oof. Uh, you should get some fuzzy peach notes there, and it's a uh, zero sugar, which is what a lot of people are going for these days. So right. it uh, it adds up. I'm pretty excited for you to try it, actually. Oh man, um, I had an interesting question. So I'm drinking out of a can, but it's got to get, you know if you pour that. Uh, Craig, and, and give it a good sniff, you'll, you'll definitely get lots of fresh fuzzy peach on it. Oh, the peach is huge. Yeah. yeah Mate. Yeah. Boys, cheers. Cheers. Wow. I'm already drinking. Hey, man, you can't mess around. Well, that's great. So I, I had a couple questions about this because this is a new um, a new product. Typically, you know, across the, the beer market um, that, you know, is really enticing beer drinkers. Now, to the first question, you called it hard sparkling water, which I really enjoy because most ones that I've seen is, um, you know, they call it hard seltzer, which is kind of an American word. We don't really talk like that over here, but that was just the product name and people have continued that. So why did you guys go with hard sparkling water? Yeah, in a lot of we debated it long and hard when we were kind of the concept of, of coming up with the hard sparkling water. It was before, you know, there were a lot of seltzers in Ontario or even Canada at that point, and, you know, White Claw hadn't made it its way here yet, but, and, and we kind of felt the same way, Craig, in terms of, we always talk about, you know, really want to be that iconic Canadian brand, and, and, and seltzers didn't feel like us, didn't feel like Muskoka, and on a number of fronts, we really try to stay true to our roots and kind of what got us here 25 years later, and even simple things, which aren't so simple, like like on the branding side, or, or even words that we can use with our, our beer or spirits. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a, a, a new way in terms of a descriptor, but we definitely it was purposeful that we, we didn't want to call it filter. Gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. It kind of like aligns a bit more, maybe with uh, people who have haven't heard of hard seltz and might be like, "What on earth is this product?" And then they see hard sparkling water, and like, oh, you know, they can kind of align it more. Yeah, trying yeah. to the shelves are so you know full and and the competition on shelf and, and it, it's hard for consumers and, and in all honesty trying to make it easy for them as well. No, I like that. Yeah, so. I think we just didn't want to go the whole route of of educating the consumer. I think I think everyone just knows what a hard sparkling water is or sparkling water in general. I know I know we did have big big talks about seltzer versus sparkling water. Uh, and I think sparkling water just—it's straight to the point, right? Yeah, it—it couldn't—it couldn't be more. And I feel like it speaks to Canada in a way that you know, seltzer in and of itself kind of doesn't. So like, it does in the beer market. Beer nerds know about it, but the average person who sees it might not really know what it is. Um, the other question I had specifically about this—my understanding for this type of beverage—it can be made a bunch of different ways. There's um, some sort of malt background, there's distilling some stuff, and, and it seems like you guys made it a vodka-based beverage, which I imagine would mean you went to that distilling kind of method. Do you want to maybe you know expand on that and like how you how you arrived at making it a a vodka-based beverage? Um, in terms of the, the process, I can turn some of that over to Gary, but. Uh... You know, honestly, we did a bunch of trials. We we had a product out, um, I guess, almost four years ago now, and we were trialing. It was a, it was called the Muskoka Docker. Craig, I don't know if you ever tried that or remember that brand. I, I know of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, we started out with a you know a gin and tonic, and, and we were making gin at that time, and, and you know it's, it's gin and cranberry. It was it was really good, and the you know, sales didn't blow the doors off by any means. I think in terms of maybe some of those mixed cocktails, we were maybe a little bit ahead on that. Um, so we did a bunch of at that point. There was also multi seltzers coming out, and we did a bunch of trials, and, and knowing you know at that point we were distilling and we had uh, you know access to NGS as well. Um, we just thought in terms of the, the flavor profile and the taste that we wanted to land on because we did trials kind of we mocked up this kind of exact recipe malt base as well. And in terms of the flavor profile that we were looking for and, and kind of the clean finish that we were looking for, we wanted to go uh, this route with our with our launch. Makes sense. Yeah the uh the spirit based over the malt base is just so much cleaner for, for the, the whole flavor profile. Right. Um, it, it, it's a lot easier to keep clear than, than a malt base. It's uh, production's a lot easier. Um, it's, it's just a, a cleaner product in the end. Okay. How do you do the flavoring for this type of one? Like what, what's the, like, I know there's a few different ways you can use some sort of like, I don't know if it's like an essence or whatever, or, I've heard a bunch of different stuff. Which way did you guys go? <clears throat> so yeah, these, these are all natural essences from a company right in uh, Mississauga there. And uh, they work really close with us and they'll, they'll pretty much match any flavor and uh, trial a lot of flavors with us. I think we went through like seven different peach flavors with them just to, to nail this one down for sure. Wow. That's awesome. It's a great, great combo. I don't even think I've seen this combo in a beer before. Peach and black currant. We've done peach and we've done black currant, but never together. <laughs> yeah, we that was kind of right off the get-go. We wanted to do kind of uh, you know two fruit combinations. We didn't want to do you know a single or a three. It was always what are really complementary combinations there, and and that's the fun part. Like you know, honestly, I know we drive Gary and and Chris and the innovation team a little bit nuts, but it's really you know six or seven of us sitting around in a room, or in the case of of Peach uh, Black Current uh, with with COVID last summer on the patio outside, just just trying in an afternoon seven or eight different variants and saying, ah, not so much, or I really like this, but maybe it's, it's a little too much blackberry. Can we you know, amp up the peach a little bit? And, and it's funny because some stuff that we thought was, you know, were going to be our lead horses, just in terms of, okay, you know, you put it on paper, it's a flavor descriptor, and you, know, you marry these two fruits, it sounds refreshing and tropical or delicious. And then, you know, we do it all blind. And, and so, you know, it's really based on taste. And uh, with this one, and actually with our, our kind of pineapple raspberry too, we kind of surprised ourselves because they, they, weren't, they weren't kind of our, our lead combinations, I would say, going in, but, but we stayed true to the process and we said, you know, in terms of flavor, it was kind of unanimous. This is what we really, really loved. And a lot is, is I think Gary alluded to, the essence of the extracts that we use in terms of the all natural and the peach that we found and landed on it was because you got to be careful so many of you know you can go down that kind of artificially you know peach root and and with with a lot of them that kind of you know us the other way and we moved off stuff quickly but when when we first tasted this we knew yeah this is what we wanted to bring to market i love it when when do these release are these out now or are they coming out soon they're in the yeah. process of rolling out now. Yeah. Okay. They're, like they're, they're, they're live at the, the brewery. Go ahead, Todd. <laughs> yep. 
at the brewery and then they, they're shipped or IPL to be aware of. So uh, probably getting on shelf, hopefully sometime, um, even over this weekend, maybe they'll start looking out uh, into stores um, as well. Perfect timing. Um, I love that. That's amazing. Um, Todd, by any chance on your computer, I'm just being told that uh, you're a little quiet on your side. Do you have like an input audio that you're Because I can't turn you. I'm basically manually adjusting it between you and Gary every time you talk. I'm ch changing the volume here, but I don't think that's doing the trick. If you have like an input um, uh, microphone setting or something like that, you can kind of like ramp it up a little bit potentially. <clears throat> Just a heads up. Take your time. Work on that. We'll keep. We'll keep. Uh, we'll keep going. Um, the okay. So that makes sense. So there's a four pack as well, which I forgot to get from the room. So once uh, I'll get to grab that uh, in a few minutes. But so you've got these, uh, the peach and black currant, which is also in the four pack. I think it's like they're like short cans, right? They're like three seventy. Yeah, three fifty five. Yeah, three fifty five. What are the other flavors in that in that pack? So we have a wow, I can't even remember a coconut lime, um, a raspberry pineapple, and uh, we, we call it field berry. So it's blackberry, blueberry, and lemon. Nice. Damn. The, the field berry is like the big punch of flavor. It's it's the uh, it's the burst one for flavor for sure. Okay, I love that. They uh, are they all pretty similar because this is like oh here we go look at that. thank you Tiff. So this is the bad boy right here. That's uh, this is the one that's available at the brewery now, and we'll be able to grab from uh, LCBO soon. Look at that! Yeah, very cool. Um, I love it. It's uh, it's such a, a cool concept. It's perfect timing for uh, coming up to the summer as well. Like, take one of these to the park if it's legal. If it's legal, and uh, <laughs> it is here, so you know. Um, and knock that back. It's just really cool. It's a super perfect timing, particularly as we were saying earlier, we're just getting this sort of unseasonably warm uh, weather. So we might be able to, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be very necessary for folks to be getting into this stuff uh, very soon. So I love it. It's very cool guys. And it, it makes sense for the brand. I, I remember the Docker from a year or two ago, and this kind of is like the next you know, iteration of that, which is kind of putting your own spin on a, on a product that's, um, you know, Starting to make some noise out here. It's great. I love it. Oh, it's, run, it's running wild. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to kind of get on board, or it's uh, you know get left behind you. We also yeah, I, think, I can agree with that. Uh, compared to last year, we also uh, are launching uh, just bringing out to a, a twelve pack of it, which is new for us. Uh, having that in a twelve, and it's it's an all berry pack. So you see the the coconut lime in that one. Yeah, it's not in the twelve pack. It's just the. Uh, uh, the, the the pineapple um, and it's the uh, peach black currant and the fieldberry lemon. Fieldberry, yeah, yeah, I love that. That's so cool. And they're only a hundred calories per can. Is that correct? In, in the three fifty fives, yeah. I think they're one thirty for the big one. If I saw that earlier, yeah, one thirty. Yep. So that's pretty damn good, man. Because I imagine like a hazy IPA, which we'll get to later, is probably like five hundred calories or something absurd. Yeah, you're, you're in about the three fifty to. <laughs> 400 depending on which, which like how how hot it is and it's crazy alcohol obviously it's pro it's a little you know it's problematic but god damn it it's worth it we love it <laughs> this is where how you balance it out so um with that said let's get into the the beer stories because i'd love to hear how you both got into craft beer and uh you know maybe we can amalgamate those two kind of with the, the history of muskoka brewery itself i know i imagine both of you weren't there at the 
you know, the genesis of everything, but you probably be able to speak to the story and, and sort of how it, you know, changed and, and moved over the years. It's pretty epic. Absolutely. I'll let uh, Todd go first on that. Um, can you hear me any better? Do I, if I get I'm getting, closer, I try to just my... I just, uh, I, let me, is, Todd, is Todd a bit better now? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm getting better. Can we turn it up even more or it's okay? No, this is sounding good. It's sounding good, Todd. You're sounding good. I'm getting notes. Tiff is in, in communication with the brewery here. It's a it's you know, it's a whole like we got the, the NASA Houston going on right back here. Everyone's everyone's letting us know. Yeah. I love it. I appreciate it. It's cool. I don't know what's going on with my uh, beat Bluetooth. I'm gonna have to give Dr. Dre a call and figure out what's <laughs> going on because it's really good, but uh, yeah, it, you know, uh, the story of Masoka is pretty interesting, Craig. I don't know how much you know about it. It's um I've been in beer since 98, so 23 wow. years. And, and like we talked about, um, Muskoka celebrating, you know, our, our 25th. And, you know, we talk a lot as a company about our values and our why and, you know, why we're here, why do we get up and come to work every day. And a word that we use a lot is the word resolve. And if you know the story of Muskoka and the genesis of, of, of how, you know, the brewery and, and it came to be, you know, 25 years later, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. So um, 1996, well, actually, it was, it was back in, in um, probably about 92 or 93. Two high school friends, Gary McMullen and Kirk Evans, um, both up from, you know, Muskoka, Huntsville area. Uh, they kind of, Gary was off at, in military college in RMC, and, and I think Kirk was at uh, York University. Um, and Gary was a home brewer, and so he was really interested in brewing. Um, I think at that time, of the Canadian military with downsizing and offering, you know, packages to, to kind of get out of the military. Uh, Gary loved brewing, he's experimenting at home. So he approaches his buddy Kirk and said, you know, there's a big brewery right off the 400 in Barrie, you know, Molson had their big brewery right there. And basically there was nothing north and it's like, you know, why not do it? So, um, you know, rallied together, a bunch of shareholders, a bunch of money, the community kind of uh, kicked in a bunch um, moved into the old granary building, which was uh, downtown Bracebridge on Taylor Road, and and that was a building still, you know, that was around, um, you know, after for, I guess the first 16 years, because because when I started with the uh, with the brewery, that was the building that I worked out of. Um, so they opened in in June uh, of 1996 with one brand that was Muskoka Cream Ale. Uh, exactly. We're gonna try it a bit later on. Exactly the same recipe, you know. Well, it changed a little bit, but basically the recipe. From 96 is the same one that we're using right now and and so you know as with any new startup you know lots of help and lots of community support along the way to get open and then um that was june and then of august of that year uh, gary's partner in the business kirk was involved in a, a horrific car accident on highway 11. um Jeez. and he actually passed uh, away a couple months later wow. so it was at that point where you know you know, Gary was doing some soul searching, I think, and he, he, he not only lost, you know, one of his best friends, but he lost his business partner and just wasn't sure how it was going to continue to go forward. Uh, back then, it was, you know, I think Kraft was about a, just under a two share in Ontario at that point. There was probably a handful of players and, and you would know who they are. And so the brewery was struggling. Um, Gary didn't have a lot of money. He'd lost his partner. And so you know, as the story goes, it was, you know, it was September 
and I think it was the Canadian Brewing Awards. Actually, I think it was the, the Great Canadian Brewing Festival, it was called back then. Gary actually didn't have enough money to buy the traditional bittering hop that he was using for cream ale. So right. he just dumped, he, he dumped a shitload of Cascade hops into the, into the kettle and, and kind of went from there. And, you know, that's a hop, you, you know that hop, it's just, you know, more of a West Coast style hop back then. I think Sierra Nevada was using it in their pale ale and there wasn't a lot around in 1996 in Ontario like that. So entered that cream ale with the Cascade hop in the, um, in the Great Canadian Brewing Festival and won uh, Beer of the Year. Um, and that was September. So that was a month after the accident. So I think that was a real sign. To, I think Gary and the Muskoka team back then, it was a, a, only a team of three or four. Um, that was a sign that, you know, we need to keep going here. We need, we need to have that resolve. And again, we, we talk about uh, as we grow and, you know, when I got to the, when I got to the brewery, I got to the brewery, I first met Gary back in 2010. I got to the brewery in 2011. Um, you know, I was employee number 20 something and we're up to about 120. Um, you know, when you look at our seasonal staff in the summer, so we have a big crew, but you know, in those early days, it really was the community, I think, that pulled together and, you know, delivered beer, came in to help you know, fill bottles, stick labels on bottles, a clean tanks. It was really friends, family, neighbors. So we're very conscious of that as a brewery, as we, as we grow and add and um, that we don't forget kind of our roots, that, you know, what that community meant to us, why, you know, the only reason that we're still here is that community. Um, and you know, we'll talk about it probably a little bit later, Craig, is, is some of the initiatives that we've, we've rolled out to, you know, especially through COVID, but other things we've done along the way the past 25 years really to, to kind of support the community. So that's kind of the, the story of kind of how kind of Muskoka came to be. And maybe, maybe I'll let Gary jump in and talk to, talk to, you know, you know, how you got into brewing, Gary, and how you found your way to Muskoka. And then, and then I can kind of jump in in terms of, you know, how I got, got to the brewery, you know, back in, in 2010. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've been in brewing now for seven years, I believe. Um, I, I never went to actual brewing school or, or really had a passion for home brewing. I just kind of moved out west and needed a job as a, a young guy and got into a, a small brewery out west. And I was just cleaning kegs and getting free beer, and I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> and then they just said, hey, do you want to you try brewing? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And uh, the, the moment, like, you you – you spend the weeks making a beer and then you actually get to sit down after work and drink that beer you put all that work into just just clicked for me and I've never looked back and uh moved back home to Ontario from from Calgary and was looking for another brewing job and in January 2016 is when I joined the uh brewing team for Muskoka Brewery and uh I was I was like a hybrid MC slash uh brewer then and uh worked my way up to the head brewer role now I love it. Nothing love really it. glamorous, just uh, slinging yeast all day. <laughs> slinging yeast. Yeah, like it. It, we, we would have been <laughs> nuclear without Gary in the past year. It was, you know, Gary stepped into a new role as head brewer. Um, you know, we were short-staffed a lot last year, and, and, and there was so many. You know, I know it's a way overused word in terms of pivots, but there was a million things that we had to change across pretty much every aspect of the business, in, in, including – me coming to Gary and said, hey, Gary, do you know how to make hand sanitizer? And, and he's like, well, no. And I will, well, we got three weeks to figure it out. And, and just that, you know, that new attitude and, and because of, 
of, of COVID and trying to keep the team safe. You know, we were short staffed a lot on the, on the brew side throughout the year. And, and, um, you know, just, you know, Gary's one of those guys that just always finds a way to get it done. And, and, you know, we're very fortunate that we're here, you know, where we are, you know, living through the 12 months that we had and, and for sure, Gary's a big part of that and, and lots of experiment and, and craziness and conversations along the way, but, uh, we're still here. I love that. I, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like the, I see what you mean with the, uh, pivot being kind of a bit of an overused word. Everyone's mentioning it, but, um, you know, I mean, the changing from doing, you know, making craft beer to making hand sanitizer is a, an adapt. You have to adapt to that. And it's, it's been very cool to, to hear stories that, you know, breweries have been able to be like, all right, well, what, how can we contribute to society? What do we need more than beer right now? And Ooh. the fact that you guys were able to figure that out and then and give back, I, I love that. That's been one of my favorite positive stories um, from the whole terrible last year that, you know, humanity has been dealing with. Um, Absolutely. Right, yeah. I think it's so key. I'm just writing down slinging yeast because that is such a great term. I, <laughs> I think that might be the episode name. <laughs> um, so, no, that's awesome. That's uh, it's really great. Yeah, Tiff was just saying slinging yeast episode name for sure. Um, just so you know, Todd, everyone is telling me that the levels between you guys are good now. You sound a little echoey, but aside from that, it's about the same. So we're not too bad. If there's no other headphone solution, then we're okay. Everything sounds decent enough. So uh, with that in mind... Do we want to? I'm looking at the time. We're coming up on just over 25 minutes or so. Do we want yeah, to? Yeah, your time. Next one? All right. What are we doing next, boss? We will be doing the tread lately. Oh, yes. I, mean, look, I love this one. So, this is a um, oh, tread lately. Um, yeah, Fred's there. So, this was a really cool one. Now, you guys actually released this in short cans in a case last year, which I thought, thank you so much, which was awesome. And I really enjoyed this beer, guys. Tell us uh, how, how this one came about, because I'm pretty sure it was a, a one-off that became a, a regular. Is that accurate? Uh, no, this one, I think we, we had an idea for this one to, to, to really jump into the core brand right away for sure. Yeah. Um, we, we have our craft log, and it does so good. I think we just wanted, uh, and I'll let Todd speak to it on more too. We, we just wanted something to to expand that part of our portfolio as well. I love it. Like yeah. a sessionable, sessionable loggers are definitely having a huge comeback with yeah, flavorful, well made loggers. Pour mine now too. Yeah, only four percent, so it's it's fantastic. We'll get we get yeah, the we photos were... as we go. Sorry about that. Yes, go on, Todd, please. Greg, we were kind of. As we were getting into our plan last year, we were really looking hard at, obviously, as is, you know, a lot of people, the, that whole, you know, functional beer, functional beverage space, and, you know, better for you being a trend, and, and um, you know, how do we want to play there? What do we want? And, and it's funny because, uh, you know, I was kind of going into the process, you know, often we'll have a, you know, a project name or, or whatever, and, and you know this this project name you know this was this was our this was our light pilsner because uh, all along we thought you know, we've got a we've got a really good lager that is actually one of our fastest growing brands in terms of our craft lager, um, and so going through this we were you know we always thought cheers, mm. cheers boy didn't want to catch you off, cheers gentlemen it's only four percent by the way folks yeah it's great continue Todd sorry which about is, that. which is yeah which is 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 what we hear a lot. Craig, in terms of you know, people, in terms of the 
the, the flavor in the body and the most deal, you know, for, for 4%, you know, and, and I think we let the process, because uh, we were going into it saying, you know, we're going to probably do a, a light lager or sorry, a light Pilsner. And then we had a couple of taste panels actually at the brewery and, you know, we had, we had a really good base to go, go from in terms of, uh, you know, beer drinkers and, and, you know, some Muskoka fans, some not, and, and brought everybody to the brewery and uh, including a lot of our team and our leadership team. And of course, all blind. And at the end of the day, it was overwhelming that it was something like 75. I think we sampled, if I'm, if I'm correct, between some Pilsners and different lighter lagers. I think we sampled maybe five or six different brands blind and, um, or sorry, recipes blind. And overwhelmingly, it was something like 75 or 80% came back that, uh, we liked this one. This was, I can't remember, it was number four. You know, number four, overwhelmingly, it was telling us something. And we were hoping it would be a Pilsner, but it wasn't. And, um, you know, you know, Curtis and the team and, and Gary and the brew team did, just did a great job with this beer. And uh, we, we wanted to hit a mark in terms of, you know, a 355, you know, 110 calories and, and, and really play in that better for you space. But in a way that was true to Muskoka in terms of, you know, anything we do, whether it be our hard sparkling water or any of our beers or anything that we're going to do down the road, it's always really flavor forward. Like it's got to taste good. And, um, but it's funny because being around, you know, so I joined the brewery. I first met Gary back in, in 2010. Um, and back then I remember him giving me a sampler pack of Muskoka and they only have five brands. Then it was, a it was cream ale, uh, craft lager. Uh, there was a Hefeweizen, a dark ale and a Pilsner light uh, mm. back in 2010. Um, and, and back then it was a flop. The market wasn't ready for a craft beer that was light. They're like, if I wanted a light beer, I, I want it because I don't want the flavor. Your light beer, your Pilsner has too much flavor and I'm not, you know, and so it actually, I think it stuck around for maybe a year and a half and then killed the brand. And then, you know, here we were, you know, 10 years later coming back and, and saying, you know, in terms of the white space in our portfolio, you know, we really need to nail it and, 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 and launch a really, flavorful light lager it's, it's it's funny how it's kind of come full circle that's a really good point i remember all of those brands as you were saying that that was kind of tripping me out i remember i think it, they didn't it even came in like a pack or something as well you could get the bunch of, i remember the dark specifically um yeah man that's a tripper you are right it's it's been an interesting thing over the last couple of years where people have just wanted something that's more crushable where and, and lower calorie, I think it's, it was almost like a pendulum swing back from the pastry stouts and the big haze that, like we were saying before, like 500 calories or whatever. And people are coming back and they're like, well, this uh, little thing that's happening in my belly is not too great. Um, what else can we do? And, you know, I didn't know this was a hundred. This The tall can's 150 and you're saying the 355 was 110. Amazing. That's yeah, great. That's incredible. Honestly, I did not know that part. I didn't, I didn't notice that the first time, a few times I had this, but um it, yeah there definitely has been an interest across the board in in lower abv beers that maybe people want to session stuff they don't want to have two or three eight percent beers they want to have more four percent beers and have enough flavor so it's not overwhelming but it's you know it, it also isn't going straight to your gut it's it's fantastic it's a, it's the perfect brand it was cool to see this one come out as like a one-off and then you know not too long later see it continue to come back and then now in the case which i, I believe was your first case as far as the volume that you produce like that which is great yeah our, our first suitcase actually it's it's a nice little bag 
How's the um, how was the response to that to, to that sort of packaging from a brewery that's you know craft breweries typically don't make that type of thing. So I guess it was uh, a bit of a paradigm shift potentially for for the customers being able to associate that format with a high quality craft uh, brewery. We, yeah, I mean, we were, I'm still producing them, so. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead, it's, Todd. It's one of our, it's, it's that the, the two four suitcase is one of our fastest growing um, packs right now, Craig. And wow. we were kind of seeing some indicators on, even though, you know, we didn't have like a, a suitcase format, just even, you know, flaps of our tall cans, because um, you get, you, you know, when you get the reports from the, from the beer store, you know, it, it's, it's broken up in terms, broken out in terms of pack up. And, we were saying, you know, even a year and a half and two years ago, we we're saying, wow, you know, even on brands like Mad Tom, which you maybe wouldn't think a little higher alcohol, you know, there's a certain segment that are actually looking for pack up and they're, they're looking to buy two fours of craft lager and cream ale and Detour and Mad Tom. And, and then I think we started down that path. And I think, you know, the timing of us having, you know, that option, we pulled a bunch of stuff ahead to, to launch it, um, you know, prior to, to Christmas. And, and, you know, I think through the pandemic, it probably just more than anything fueled that, that people were looking for more pack up options and, and there's not still a heck of a lot on the craft side. And, and, um, and so, yeah, we're really happy after kind of year one, um, we, we kind of blew our forecast out of the water with that, with, with tread lately. And, and we're just really optimistic on where that brand can go. I love that. That's a really good point that you made, and I feel I actually forgot that that was a thing. Where the one of the big takeaways I think from the pandemic were that client, like customers and drinkers were looking for more volume of lower ABV beers as opposed to you know a four pack of an eight or ten percent beer or something like that. I imagine because everyone was going through this big change and people didn't know what was happening, they're scared and. People were just, oh, all right, well, we've got nothing else to do is drink. And those type of products ended up, once we sort of got past that initial, let's get trashed, we, not, we don't we get to work from home phase, the, the actual market kind of corrected it, and that's what people were left with. That's what they wanted. It was such an interesting thing because I wonder if that would have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. You know what I mean? I know that these low ABV products were definitely getting more popular prior to this. I interviewed some folks and from, uh, you know how in Quebec we have the specialty beer stores? which we're going to get to shortly about you guys. But, you know, uh, I interviewed a few folks from those stores and they would keep telling me that people were buying the the nano YPAs at like 2.5% and all these other light things. I remember when they told me, I was kind of like pretty skeptical. I was like, really? People want this? Why would you want this? And I guess I just, you know, I was probably too far on the craft nerd side where I'm (laughs) drinking the ridiculous stuff. And now I completely see the value. I'm about, I drink a lot of non-alcoholic stuff now on my, off nights from drinking and I'm, I'm loving it so i find that this whole segment is this whole new thing so it's great to see that it's working well for you guys and you're really like hitting a strong need um you know in the market that, that people are loving it's a beautiful thing now are you are you drinking are you drinking craig non-alcoholic beers or or just you know are you experimenting with a whole bunch of different non-alcoholic beverages beers specifically what what happened with me i thought this is i'm not i'd be curious to know about you guys because you're in the industry i'm like industry adjacent so i have to drink you yeah, particularly you gary you have to drink every day at probably 6 a.m you're like coming in and testing all the fermenters and you know when i've only been in bed unfortunately yeah 
It's a hard job, right? So you know, someone's got to do it, though. It is very true. Someone does have to do. It. I actually don't envy that. I don't like day drinking. But the thing that I noticed that I was kind of drinking because I have um, obligations, I guess you could call them. People send me stuff. I need to create content, and that's really what it is. So I would just kind of drink until I kind of woke up and I'm like not feeling too good. I'm like, ah, I think I'm gonna take today off, and then maybe it turned out to be a few days off. Then I'll get back to it. And then eventually I'd just get a cold and or something. I'd be sick for a couple of weeks and then back to it and I'd repeat. And like it's and if I'm traveling in the normal world, I would get sicker more often because you're traveling, your immune system's down, you're touched now with this COVID hindsight, it's disgusting how we used to live. <laughs> we were animals. So I've noticed now what I decided to do was I cut down, I have four strict nights a week on. Uh, typically in like you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I take two nights off. I'll go one more on Tuesday, then I'll take Wednesday off. So it's kind of like a little bit split up. And I haven't been sick in a year plus, touch wood. Um, and I find that I've been able to control everything a lot more. And one thing I found on those off nights, if I ever did have a craving, non-alcoholic beers specifically um, have been really handy for that. And I used to think they were pretty trash and they were just like you know, shitty hot flavored water type of thing. But now, if you think of it as hot-flavored water and not a, a bad beer, I, I've really enjoyed them. And I find there's like there's a lot of value for that product. So with that lengthy-ass intro, have you guys looked into non-alcoholic beers at all? Yeah. I'll let, uh, yeah, it's hard to touch that. Mm. <laughs> Go ahead, Todd. We, we have. Uh, um, it, it continues, you know, it continues to be part of our conversations on, you know, what I said before in terms of being flavor forward and, and how does it augment kind of our existing portfolio and can we do it right? Right now, we can't do it right without either, you know, contracting out to somebody, which isn't kind of, you know, our style, our DNA, and or it's a shitload of CapEx, to be honest with you, to get the equipment that we need to to, to do it right. But it's the space is going to continue to grow and, and, and um, you know, we, we probably do need something in that space. It's funny because um, today for most of the day, I was in, in a, a second day of uh, 2022 strategic planning already. Um, you know, we're through really only the first quarter and we, you know, we don't even have a lot of results in terms of our brands, our new innovation hitting the market. And, um, but, you know, the LCBO has pulled forward some timelines in terms of, you know, when we need to pitch for next year and that's pulled everything forward. So, you know, in the past where we would have kind of pitched our annual plans in the fall time period, you know, like maybe late September to mid October. Now we're going to be doing that pretty much in July, which, which, you know, does pull everything forward, but then at least going into the year in terms of, you know, procurement or having to order, you know, cans, which have long lead times or packaging, uh, hops, whatever is, is at least now, going into 2022 we'll we'll know far in advance of you know what we're going to go with and what we're what we're not so a big part of it even part of our conversation today was was you know non non out uh for sure we're we're mm. really seeing the same thing that you know that you are interesting i love that you guys are doing it it's totally on brand and it fits with the rest of your portfolio on that note, uh, Todd, I think this is a really interesting convo. I, I think people might not really understand how far ahead breweries have to plan to, to make things happen. And like you said, with longer lead times for packaging, particularly during the pandemic, I heard that cans were, were an issue. Um, 
with that increased lead time being that it is April and you're planning for next year, so like Q2 2021 and you're planning for 2022, is there a challenge, I guess this is for both you guys, like with trying to predict what's going to be hot and what people want next year because there might be some crazy explosion of a, a trend in September this year, but you're already planned for next year and that may, might be too late to get to roll something out. You know what I'm saying? Like, how does that affect you guys? Absolutely. Um, we, we definitely see that challenge. Um, now, now, granted, it makes my life a whole lot easier pre-planning now for next year, for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, is, it is a challenge. And I think with our, our Moonlight Kettle series, which I think we'll touch on a lot more later, yeah. um, we can actually see where the trends are going with that small batch uh, releases monthly. We, we can see where people are kind of going already and and just getting customer feedback all throughout the year already. We, we know what people want to drink, which way they're, they're kind of leaning towards. Now, there are surprises every once in a while that uh, jump out on us and we, we, we can adapt, obviously. Uh, we, we can adapt pretty quick, um, but for... For some of the big flagship brands or, or big changes that we want to make, it's it's definitely better to have it planned out now than uh, say say October. So it's more of go on top, please. Yeah, it's a funny feeling to be honest with you, Craig, because you know I'd say you know over you know I think it's forty four percent of our volume is done from you know May two four to Labor Day. So you know usually you have a pretty good gut like that's that's the boat you know coming into august you know you're either rocking and rolling on some or you're not um our you know muskoka brewery our volume is really spread over a number of brands versus probably you know a lot a lot of others like you know if you look at you know our, our friends over at, at, at steam whistle you know you know how much volume they have in in steam whistle pilsner and um, you know, definitely Detour is our, our lead horse, um, but, you know, it, it's not like it's, it's, the gap is that far. We have, you know, we have, you know, five core brands that we, we, we go to and the volume, you know, is, is, is spread pretty good amongst those. So um, it's really about, so we have a good gut on that. We do a lot of, we do a lot of homework in preparation for this. Um, Sarah, who leads our marketing team and Ross, who leads our sales team. We do a lot of homework before when we, when we could travel, Craig, and even when I kind of first got into the craft side of the business, I spent a lot of time in the U.S., the Great American Beer Festival, CBC, yes. uh, Brewbound, just fun, just soaking it all in. It was so different. But, you know, my first 13 years in beer were with Molson Coors. So coming to Muskoka was a very different experience and wanting to immerse myself in, in how different it was. And, and luckily, I had lots of help and friends along the way. But we, even if you look at, at the, you know, the initial, you know, when I first got there in 2010, we were just talking about, you know, launching Mad Tom and West Coast IPAs. And, and we were getting that because we spent time in San Diego and San Francisco mm-hmm. and we were seeing what was going on in those markets. And then, you know, same thing when we launched Teacher in 2014, we were kind of seeing the shift from people still liking their IPAs, but they wanted, you know, them a little bit more sessionable. And, and they wanted to have more of them. And, you know, we were the first out of the gate with, a, you know, an ISA or a truly sessionable IPA in Ontario. And, and so that's presented a, a bit of a unique challenge when it comes to, you know, the planning cycle, because, you know, usually we're, you know, learning firsthand and, and we believe in being in the field and, and going to these crap hotbeds, whether it be Portland or Washington or Philadelphia or San Diego or, um, you know, even Michigan, there's great spots. And, mm. uh, so 
we've always traditionally done our homework, which I think from the trust we've built with, you know, our biggest customer, the LCBO is, is I think there's an understanding of trust there that if, if we're going to bring something to them or we're going to ask them for a listing that, that we're just not throwing shit at the wall. We've done our homework and, and we, we really believe that it's going to succeed and it's going to help to drive volume in their stores. And um, that's probably, it's probably the hardest part of the planning cycle. And it's something that we, we, we talked about yesterday and today. It's the bulk of the conversation is, is, you know, that portfolio planning, that portfolio optimization. I think right now we probably have 15 or 16 brands. Every time you add a brand, you become less efficient. Mm. Um, and you've got a favorite. And, and trust me, like brands that were performing really well, that maybe had a life cycle, like our, you know, summer vice tropical wheat, you know, going away. Um, you know, I got a lot of hate mail over that, including from my wife. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> Kirby Bullock was another one. Shanick and Stout, but it's, it's like, you know, if we really think that the market's going this way, we've got some real cool innovation or something we really want to bring, then, then you know, what has to move out of the way to, to make room for that? Because, you know, you, you, can't, you can't have them all. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with, you know, 40 brands and a million different packages and format types. And it's really hard to, to grow and manage a business like that. So it's hard because it's, they're like kids. You get attached to brands and you're with brands for sometimes five, 10 years and there's a core base and you, you have to make sure that, that you've done your homework before you step off something, especially if you're stepping off something that's got significant volume there because you don't believe the future volume will be there. You've got to make damn sure that, that whatever's coming in, you're very confident it, it can at least replace that volume, but in hopes of, of obviously growing it, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. Hmm. Wow. This, these are words that I don't hear too often. I love this. I have a, I have a business as well. So I love hearing uh, you talk about beer in, in this sort of perspective. I feel like people sometimes forget that craft beer is a business too. You know, we all love it, but you know, you have to think about it from these perspectives to, to keep the train going. I love it. I wanted to ask then, did you just say 2014 is when Detour came out? Yeah, yeah. Gee, honestly, I swear to God, it probably felt like in my head, it did not feel like it was that long ago. I remember that explicitly. Okay, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> what, are, what are the, I'm just really curious because you guys are, are, are a, a unique type of brewery that you've been around so long and that you have so many brands. What are, say, the top five top selling brands that you have um, in order? Because I, I don't know why, but when you said Detour was number one, I don't, I don't know why, but I wouldn't have guessed that. I don't know what I would have guessed either, but I don't think I would have said detail. Uh, do you want to handle that one, Gary? You want me to take it? Oh, uh, yeah, if, if I can remember the exact order. So Detour is definitely our number one, uh, followed by Craft Logger. Uh, and then it, pretty sure it's Mad Tom after that. Uh, and then it, I think it goes to Cream Ale from there. Uh, and I wouldn't remember what the fifth one. It, mu it must be Tread Lightly at this point. It's either Tread yeah. Lightly or Hazed. Okay. Between those two. Tread nipping at the heels of, uh, yeah, so those would be for sure our top five. And the interesting thing in, in my time, I, I, like I said, I, I've been here just over 10 years, but unlike a lot of other, you know, craft breweries in Ontario, we've had different, I've had, we've, when I got, when I got to Muskoka, obviously our, 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 you know, number one brand was, was Cream Ale. It was, you know, it was our flagship. It was kind of a quintessential cottage country brand. And, and then, you know, when we launched Mad Tom in 2011, it just came out of the gate like nuts. And, and within a year, it was already, 
it was already our number one brand surpassing pre-mail. And then, you know, three years later, we launched uh, Detour and it quickly became our number one brand. So kind of just in my time here, we've had kind of three lead horses. And uh, and right now, like Gary said, you know, even though some of those other brands are, are, are bigger, our fastest growing brands are, you know, what you're drinking now, Ched Lightly and, uh, and our Haze and Confused is, is something that right now, you know, we just can't make fast enough. That's so cool. Does this ever trip you guys out? Like, does everything, or maybe not trip out, but does it ever like surprise you that like, oh wow, like this is like dominating right now. Does that, does it ever happen or you make it and you're like, yeah, this is going to be the one kind of like a musician dropping a single, like, ah, oh, this is, this is the one right here, you know? Uh, no, there's definitely some surprises for me for sure. Uh, and not even just with, with our brand, I'll see other breweries come up with things and just because I personally don't like it or something. And, and then it just takes off and you're just like, wow, I did not see that one coming. Uh, and no, normally it's just a simple beer too. And it just flies or, or same, same with some of the moonlight kettles we make. Some, some of the brewers will be like, yeah, you know, it's not the best one we made. And that one sells out in a week. You're just like, whoa, what, what did we not see for that one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's definitely surprises yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, got a big point with our Moonlight Kettle program because it does, we can leak things out and get a really good, holy shit, that sold out in two weeks versus, you know, it's a month and we still have some inventory and I think gives you some indicators on, on, on that. But, you know, I think we're fortunate being one of the few Ontario craft breweries that, that has the history that we have, you know, being 25 years is because of that. Um, I think because of a number of things we've done over the 25 years, there's, People trust us. Like people trust the brand. They know it's going to be quality. They know it's going to be flavor forward. Um, so when we put out something new, there's that inherent trust that they say, "Oh, it's from Muskoka. It's tread lightly." I don't know. I'm not a light beer drinker, but you know, I'll give it a whirl because uh, it's Muskoka. So there's that inherent trust. But but that also adds a, a layer of of uh, you know pressure or responsibility, saying that if we are going to bring something to market, then we better make sure that it's it's, it's really good because, you know, our, our beer drinkers trust that it's going to be and they're, 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 you know, it's very easy to go the other way. We talk a lot about, you know, building brands and, and, you know, brands being promises consistently kept and how do you consistently keep that promise to your beer drinkers? And, and, you know, you know, a lot of, you know, prior our brewers can make a, a great beer once, but it's, you can you consistently do it over 25 years and over that, you know, that many brands. And um, we're lucky that we got, got a team with, with guys like Gary and, and on our brew team to, to be able to pull that off. I love that. I think that's a really great point because I was saying to you guys earlier or, or that basically you guys were one of the earliest, um, you know, when I was telling you about doing little stupid selfies, um, that's how this started and when i just sort of went through the lcbo where i lived and then you started with all the european lagers then go to the local stuff and there wasn't that many there's probably less than 10 ontario breweries if i'm i might be boosted i'm talking 2011 here um and that's why all the things that you're talking about uh, both you guys are talking about i remember all of those brands so distinctly well because they were they made more of an impact back then when you're learning about beer so I obviously closely followed everything that you guys have done and obviously more so again since this whole thing came about. Um, but one of my favorite things about you guys is your the rebrand. And I, I, I think it's great because let's be honest, beer labels and beer branding in 2011 and not just in Ontario, here in Quebec, 
I lived in Toronto at the time, um, were pretty hot garbage. Nothing really looked fantastic. Um, some worse than others, but I feel like people didn't take it serious because it was really an, a bit more of a niche and it was really about more what was in the can or the bottle than what it looked like. As craft beer grew, I imagine branding like anything got more important. Um, so you guys did a rebrand. Do you do either you remember when the rebrand was? Or, and was there multiple rebrands? Because I'm looking at these, uh, I guess that's Muskoka Spirit, so it is a different logo. I probably shouldn't compare it, whereas this bad boy is the, the, the kind of newer one there. Yeah, it's a, the latest one that you see there on the Tread Lightly, Craig, that's a bit of a, I wouldn't say a rebrand, I'd say a refresh. Refresh. Um, we, we, we've tweaked the font a little bit there, and the marketing team led that just in terms of making the brand a little more current. The, the chair, you know, people really associate that Muskoka chair with the, with the beer bottle on the arm with our brand. So making that a bit more prominent and a bigger, bigger part, part of our logo and you know we talk a lot about master brand and that halo effect but yeah i was there that's when i first kind of i was fortunate to come in just when we were kind of going through that so i think muskoka brewery fortunes really changed in 2008 so it was gary and and you know growing the brand you know year over year slightly and and um but just not being able to get to that next level and, and obviously needed some major investment to do that and um Bob McDonald, uh, you know, was having a beer up in uh, at a marina up in Muskoka and was having a cream ale and uh, really thought it was an awesome beer. And I think happened to know the marina owner and said, "Yeah, this is this is this cream ale is awesome." And the guy said, "Well, you know, Gary's looking for an investor. Why don't I hook you guys up?" And that happened in 2000, you know, probably 2007 or so. And I think they they chatted a lot and they got together and then you know. Um, uh, Bob became the majority owner of the Skoka Brewery in 2008. And I think that, that's really when our fortunes changed. Bob, I think um, Bob had a vision for the brand and being a family-owned, iconic Canadian brand and was very patient to say that it's not going to happen in three years, it's not going to happen in 10 years, and, and was very patient to say, you know, we have to spend a lot of money to get there. We have to, we have to rebrand. We have to... Um, you know, spend money on marketing. We have to invest in a new brewery. We have to build a sales and marketing team. Um, and and knowing that the returns on those weren't going to come even three or four years down the road. So, you know, when Bob came on board and then, you know, kind of I met Gary in, in 2010 and then I started digging in 2011, that's when we rebranded, Craig. So that the rebrand kind of uh, was synonymous with the launch of Mad Tom. And I'm not sure... Egg, but that to me that puts new Muskoka on the map. Like I think people always had an affinity for Muskoka Brewery as even the, your experience of you know just a, a, a great cottage country brand, quality beer, a cream ale a staple when you're at the cottage, but kind of limited to that. And then um, maybe a, a bit old school in terms of styles. And then um, when the rebrand hit, um, and we used a, a, an agency out of Toronto called Rethink. Um, they really helped us with that at that point. So yeah, yeah. invested, uh, you know, heavily to do that. When Mad Tom hit that spring, uh, I think we first started shipping in February 20, 2011. Um, that felt like we brought a, a whole bunch of new beer drinkers into into the Muskoka family, and they're like, "Wow, that, this is this is a bit of, dif of a different Muskoka." And I think a lot of people sat up and, and took notice of the brewery then, and, and I think that just led to other things, but. So it was really 
probably around 2008 and setting that table for what was happening. The rebrand and Mad Tom launching in 2011, I think, is what really, you know, fueled or, or kickstarted the journey that got us to kind of where we are now. Hmm. I love that. I remember specifically that Mad Tom was like, whoa, like at the time it was, you know, when the bitterness wars were kind yeah. of happening and everyone just wanted that like tongue punch in the face, that tongue scraping piney resinous thing. And I remember, I mean, I imagine to all of us, I haven't had Mad Tom, well, no, I had a few months ago, but like it's not what, well, no, no beer, you know, Sierra Nevada used to blow our minds too type of thing. And then, but at the time when we weren't used to it, I remember you guys definitely being ahead of the curve, particularly locally with a beer like that, that was like really pushing the boundaries of what, uh, you know, bitterness and hops could do at a time when that was, you know, what all the kids were drinking. It was uh, very cool. Um, I also don't remember that being 2011, man, all these dates are tripping me out. I really don't remember. <laughs> it's crazy, huh? It, yeah. It's flying. You know, seriously. So what, what was, so when you say, you know, so what was your first Muskoka beer then? What was your first experience? I would imagine it must have been cream ale. Now, did it? Did you used to sell them in packs, like whether it was a four pack or some little like? Yeah. So I must have bought the packs. Yeah, and I imagine I probably would have tried the cream ale first. I remember the dark, which would have like a dark lager. Yep. Yeah. Um, or dark ale, yeah, yeah. Dark, dark ale. Sorry. Okay. So I, I distinctly remember that, but I do really remember. And now you're sort of refreshing my memory. I may have had it because I feel like there must have been like you were talking about the refresh. That's what I'm probably thinking of when you because there was like a standard with the can. Um, I, I think the cream now kind of looks like it used to. When, when we get to that, we'll, we'll show that. But that's probably what I had in my head. And then now you've got these, you know, full full can um, designs with everything. When I think Detour is when that started, if I'm not mistaken. Like I felt like that one looked di and felt different. Um, yeah, at the time, yeah. but yeah, it must have been. Yeah, like that. it had its own standalone for for a couple for of years, lot, actually. Yeah. Like Detour was its own little little standalone uh, can for sure, and I think we're moving more towards that now for sure. Yeah, I love it. Like, with with the tread lightly, it's got its own own look, kind of like the Detour there, and yes, uh, not just the generic uh, Mus Muskoka look like it used to be. We, we've all our like we we rebranded all our IPA series too. Uh, recently, so like the, the Haze, the Mad Tom, and the Twice as Mad, they're all uh, the, the Mad Tom series now. Yes. Uh, so, so we're, we're refreshing everything currently too as, as we go now. I love it. No, you guys are definitely killing it. But yeah, I remember that distinctly just those because they look so similar. And there's something about when you maybe don't know what you want and you can go into a shelf or a fridge or whatever and you see a bunch of things that are similar. And you sort of like, oh, okay, I like how that looks. Oh, cream out, the dark, that looks cool. And you're just like, oh, I'm just going to get them all. I remember that it, being a way to approach it when you don't know shit and you're just sort of like, uh, them with me. Type, you know what I mean? Like, because it feels like a family and you'll get a picture of a brewery and it's almost better to learn more about one brewery than just cherry pick from a bunch. And at, at least it felt like that for me at the time. Yeah. 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 And it really, and mind. I, I probably, Craig, like you, I was, you know, coming from a company, a, a, a big, you know, macro company like, like Molson, you know, the very first time, you know, before it was launched, we were doing trials that, that I, you know, was, I had a pint of Mad Tom. I was like, what the hell is, what was that? And, 
And you, that the way you describe it, that you know, that punch in the mouth, it was like, you know, we used to talk about it as, you know, we wanted this brand that if you're sitting at the bar and you're, you're the tap opens and you're pouring a pint, you can actually smell it. And in that, you know, that the, the nose is that. But the, the funny thing, we were talking about this as part of our planning, as of course, you know, everybody's talking, you're seeing the growth, the growth in, you know, hazies across the board is, is, um, is we had a hell of a time with Mad Tom when you know, originally we, you know, we, we were filtering it originally and then early on it was only about a year old and then you know, we were one of the first to say, okay, we're, we're going to centerfuge our ales and um, it, we, had, we took back a whole bunch of kegs. I'm talking hundreds of kegs that summer of, of, of Mad Tom that smelled and tasted great, but it was super hazy and ours would pour it and they'd send it back and you know, we do the, Q, the, the QC on it. And, you know, it's again, awesome nose and, you know, uh, tasted just like Mad Tom should in terms of that, 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 that bitterness and that, and, but, but at that point in 2011, 2012, um, people just weren't ready for their beer to be hazy. And so as, you know, as we're talking about future trends and you're seeing the growth across the board in, in a bunch of different hazy categories, it's just, it's funny looking back and thinking, man, we couldn't we couldn't give that stuff away for the first. <laughs> no, it not took, at all. It took a while. When it took hold, it took hold. Yeah, it definitely did. It was it was really strange. As I do recall, it was all about like even when we were making homebrew, like oh uh, yeah, it's all this muddy. It was wasn't cool if it wasn't clarified. And now it's literally the opposite. Be it people, I tell you, we're crazy. <laughs> Changing daily. <laughs> How's your, uh, are, you, are you ready? Are you ready to go for a cream now? Literally, was about to say, please, yeah. let's, let's let's do it. Do it. Works for me. All right. Uh, so this is the OG. I haven't had this in a while, and I feel like uh, it's often um, helpful to talk about what a cream ale is because I th I feel like it's it's more complex than people potentially realize or not even complex like it's it's very different to the the others thank you man. do you want the lug yeah sharing with it she's getting into it. so the cream ale this is like a you know what looking at this it's not quite the old one but it's reminiscent of the old oh you got the old stuff oh sick yes that's the bad boy oh you guys got yo you're bringing them back in bottles yo for our 25th just uh just for the summer Oh, I love that branded glass. That, that's the original label. That's so sick, man. Yo, that's we should actually talk about that after we talk about the beer. Let's definitely get into that because that's very cool. Oh yeah, I'm gonna drink it from the bottle because it's been a few years since I've had it from. Yeah, the bottle. man. <laughs> oh yeah, this is glorious. So we'll get into that. Let's talk about really what. What what is a cream ale, particularly in comparison to what we just drank, which is a lager? So this is an ale and not a lager. I believe a cream ale good, is a blend of two styles or something. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Tr yeah. Traditionally, a, a cream ale is uh, a blend of more of, of an ale with more adjuncts um, added into it. Um, Ours is more along the lines of a, a British pale ale. That's just how it was designed back in 96. Wow. I think it was it was actually designed before a cream ale was even defined as a cream ale when, when uh, Gary originally designed it back then. Okay. So we, we just rolled with it that way, and it's still rolling with the, the Cascades now, the wow. Cascade hops. Um, 
And Todd, I'll let you jump on there a bit more too if you want. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we we've talked because we get asked this lots at beer shows and stuff. You know, why is there is there lactose? Why is it a cream ale? And it's, you know, there's there's no real evidence as to you know which brewery kind of coined that term a cream ale. I think it was more in relation to the to the the, the mouthfeel. I think it was using the lager yeast with that that beer. It was I think it was more about the creaminess and the silkiness of the mouthfeel than it was you know of people actually thinking there was lactose or or, or cream in it, but you know, going back, and if you if you look, there's there's no real origin to say kind of started here or started with this brewery. It, it was even though this is a, a kind of a more of a laid back English style kind of ale. It definitely you know was kind of a, a North American coined term in terms of the cream ale. And I think the genesis of this brand, when they used to talk about when we didn't have a lot of brands, was that if anything, this is a brand that's kind of reflective of cottage country, kind of laid back easygoing kind of approachable um really nice if you get if you know it really nice kind of some floral notes a little bit of toffee maybe on i've always loved the color yeah of, of cream ale nice am, amber color it's funny because we have such a portfolio and i'm i'm more you know an ipa guy and um but it's sometimes you it's like oh i forgot i haven't had a cream ale in a while and in particular when you have it on tap um fresh uh, it's like, wow, now I remember why I love that beer because, you know, back then, you know, in 96, when we launched this beer, it, it was pretty bold and different back then based on lined up a bunch of, uh, against a bunch of macro loggers. But, but now in terms of the hop profile and, and stuff, you know, obviously pretty tame, but, but I often refer to, you know, you hear it a lot, as you know, in beer, but, you know, in terms of the word balance to me, you know, this is a beer where there's some, I think some sweetness, some soft caramel sweetness, and a little bit of bitterness on the back, but not much. And it's a really, it's a it's a really well balanced beer, I would say, when you're talking about beer. And um, you know, it it also finishes really nice. So this is a beer that that it's funny. It's it's you're always trying a new thing, and you know we're always innovation, and you're into the sours, you're into the IPAs, and I love saisons. And then it's like, wow, I haven't had a cream ale in a while. When you come back to it, you realize how much you you, you like the beer, and, and Really, like we talked about, this this was a beer that put us on the map. Yeah, originally. Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of echo Todd on that one. It's it's the one I'll have like at at the end of the day, very randomly. But every time I have it, I was like, why don't I have this more? I just don't understand why I don't drink cream ale more. And a month later, I'll I'll have the same conversation to myself, and be like, why haven't I bought a six pack yet? Like, it just keeps coming back to why. And every time I drink it, so I, I made sure I came home with a six pack tonight because it, it's just been. Too, too long and I don't know why it's just it's even from the production standpoint like it's it's our most uh what is it, like religious beer we know how much we, we need to make every time people just buy it religiously right uh it, it's not like it's not like a beer that's just going to take off next month and, and we're going to sell x amount of extra heck liters we know who's going to buy it and, and they're going to religiously buy it. and it's it's kind of nice to ha have one of those in our portfolio for sure I think if we if we were to ever get rid of pre-mail, there'd be riots at, at our doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> It'd burn Bracebridge down. Yeah, I think so. The, the, another cool thing about this beer is when Gary launched it back in 96, the very first tap handle he got, the very first place that poured it on draft was um, the old station in Bracebridge. Uh, awesome spot. Food's unbelievable. Uh, it, it's uh, Owen and Mike War that, that own the place. And, and to this day, it's never come off. Uh, if, 
you know, once the, the pandemic lifts and, and you can go there for a, a beer on the patio or whatever, you know, cream ale is still on tap there 25 years later. We wanted to have a little bit of a, a celebration and toast, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do that when we can get there. But uh, that was the original, original bar that, that supported. And it's just, um, I don't know if you've been at the Griffin up the hill. You probably have. have. Yes. Right. It's just down the hill from that. Um, yeah. And uh, still pouring cream ale. I love it. That's amazing. I remember going to the original, is it still there? Like in the main street of Bracebridge? I think it's not too far from Griffin. There was kind of like a shop. Yeah. And then, is that attached to the brewery? Or a part uh, of The old station? No, but it's kind of just around the corner and, and up the hill. It's like almost, you know, spitting distance from the original brewery. Okay. It's right on, right on kind of a, a corner with a, a patio. The, the food's really good. You remember it because that's like, it's got a big kind of tree trunk right in the middle, going right up the in the middle of the building. So it can't miss it. It's it's, it's a Griffin almost backed onto it. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, I went to a Griffin a couple of years ago, but back in like I think it was 2011, my friend and I, who was my old co-host when we were discovering beer, we did a little Ontario beer trip away from Toronto. We went down to like Guelph and whatever, all through whatever was happening. Remember when King Brewery used to exist and stuff like that. And we went up to, to you guys and there was just a, it was like a, a storefront on the main yeah. street um, yeah. back in, and selling all the bottles. So we would have got a bunch of stuff from, from there. I, I really enjoyed that. So being that this is 25 years, this is the original um, beer, you're bringing back the bottles. That's the first I've heard of that. That is super cool. And I think that um, at a time when nostalgia is popular in cult, just in culture, like you name it, whatever – thing you're into there's a nostalgia factor fashion and sports and music or whatever nostalgia is there so i think that's really cool are you guys doing anything else for the 25th anniversary this this is the part where uh <laughs> i get too excited about stuff and i blabber so i gotta shut up but yeah so, right, we have a bunch of we have a bunch of really cool stuff planned. Obviously, you know, how we activate around celebrations or parties are going to be different this summer because of what's going on in the world. But um, yeah, for sure. We've got, we've got some pretty cool big ball stuff coming out. That's I think going to wow some folks. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of pretty unique promotions going on. Um, one of them on one of our mix packs that you'll find out some more information on in terms of tying back to the 25th and, and venturing off the beaten path and and um so yeah there's a few things we have they like i said the the stuff at the brewery and that we wanted to activate on the patio and the, the kind of the, the party that we would have had like we did for our, our 20th definitely isn't on the on the table but we're gonna we're gonna try to create some more excitement around you know actually beer and and um and in some activations in terms of promotions and keeping it kind of fun and in a way for consumers to still engage, even if they can't kind of make it out to the brewery. That's great. So, you know, we we stepped into big bottles. I think our first one was maybe Harvest Ale, and that would probably would have been back a seven fifty mil bottle, like like one of these suckers. The pop tops. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, the old twink tops. Yes, I used to remember, bro. And you had all of them: the oddity one, the spring one, yep. the summer yep. less. Um, Double chocolate, cranberry. Yes, the, 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 yeah, the cranberry thing that was the, the winter beard, all that stuff. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so you're bringing those bad boys so back. Start, we've, 
we, we've kind of traditionally the last couple of years we've only had our double chocolate cranberry stout that comes out at christmas in the in the big 750 mil um but but part of you know us celebrating our heritage and and coming out with some pretty cool big beers is uh as you're going to see more more 750s uh, from us in the marketplace uh, this year than you have in the, probably the past five or six that's great i think people are going to enjoy that that uh you know and it's it's actually even cooler in a, like whilst it does suck that you can't have that proper parties and have people at the brewery to celebrate right but i feel like the smaller things in life are more exciting than they used to be now like going for a walk is the highlight of my day like particularly on a day like today and like you know montreal's a beautiful city the area we're in like it's like right. oh look yeah. at all the you know the, the now the sticks are starting to bloom for the first time today we saw the things coming yeah. out and oh, well, let's just grab a coffee and go for a walk. Like, that's exciting. So I feel like these type of things where you're bringing back nostalgia when people don't have the same stimulus around them, as before, they can actually slow down and appreciate something in a way that perhaps they would have maybe overlooked a year or two ago. Well, not a year ago, but two years ago. So I think there's probably some benefit in that. So it's kind of cool that you guys are really focusing on the, the beer, the products, that, that the reason why you're uh, you know, beloved in the first place. Mm. Yeah, it is why we're here too. I mean, we want the the best liquid going forward, and and I think we'll have some interesting things coming out this year for everyone. I love it. Are you guys considering doing any like virtual events or anything to try? You know, like whether you know, people can buy like a pack of stuff and have you guys would actually be perfect to to talk through a tasting or anything like that. I feel like your the Muskoka crowd would be pretty uh pretty keen on that. Uh, we've already done a few things. We did a St. Patty's Day uh, event online with a with a guided tasting with one of our brewers. Uh, we did a, a Valentine's Day one. Uh, same same idea kind of thing. We'll, we'll you'll sign up for. It. We'll ship you uh, certain flavors, and you'll get like a, a guided uh, beer beer tasting and recommended food pairings to go with it. Um, and then I'll let I'll let Todd speak on what what may be coming up. <clears throat> yeah, we we kind of jumped into that big time. Craig, we started off when the pandemic first hit last, you know, March, April. There's a lot of people at home. We started doing these trivia nights on Thursdays. Oh, and yeah. we ended up getting, I think at a peak, we had about, you know, we had over a thousand people. Um, it, was, it was free. It was just, you know, hopefully uh, you, you got a beer going during it. And, and just a way to, you know, I remember because, you know, I took part in most of them as well because, you know, we were stuck at home too. And, there were Thursday nights. You ended up looking forward to Thursday night because it was, to your point before, Craig, it's a, it was a small thing. It was something to look forward to. And we encouraged everybody to order takeout from a local restaurant that night uh, as part of the, you know, the, the, the virtual trivia program. And it grew we had a couple hundred the first week and then 400. But by the time that we were kind of coming out of this thing in, in late May, you know, and, and stopped it, we were up upwards of over a thousand. So to, to Gary's point, we, um, we, we sold packages for, for, uh, St. Patty's Day um, that sold out, um, for Valentine's Day that sold out. And we also have uh, corporate packages that you can buy a corporate package for right, you know, yeah. whether 25 or 100 people. Uh, we just did one for CIBC this week um, where, you know, Gary or one of our brewers and Zoe who leads it on, on, on the marketing front will have some fun. It's not just about the tasting. It's, it's more than that. It's that trying to, to add a little bit of fun and some you know, a trivia or games or, or a way to kind of make it memorable and um it's it's amazing the response to that to be honest with you i think between 
you know, if, if you back out the trivia nights at the first, even in terms of just looking at the, the corporate, the, between the corporate packages and the occasion packages that we sold, like on St. Patty's Days and, and, and Valentine's and stuff, I think it's, we've sold over 1,500, um, nice. you know, to participate in, in that. And I think to Gary's point, I think it's around a, a 50 or to $60 package. And that includes, uh, you know, sometimes a fun wearable to wear on St. Patty's Day, like a green toque and uh, six beers and some tasting notes and, and a couple glasses to pour it in. And, some glasses. And, uh, yeah. We spent some out. You know, we did the same thing. Like we were so worried because part of, part of, you know, a huge part of our success is the team that we have at the brewery. And part of, of working at a brewery uh, that we're lucky to have is a tap room. And at the end of a shift or at the end of the day, being able to unwind with a beer on the patio or, 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 or with folks from different functions at the brewery. And, you know, we've missed that the past year. So we were like, how are we going to, so we had a virtual party, um, you know, we, we, we made some gin cocktails and had some beers and had some trivia and some prizes and fun. And you know, I think it was supposed to end at nine o'clock and, and there was, you know, I think there was still 50 or 60 people on at 10, 30, 11 at night. Um, and it felt, it, it, it's amazing. You know, we, you probably think the same thing is like, what would we have done without this technology to be able to do what we're doing today? And, and, you know, we had our, we had our you know, holiday party that way. And it still felt at the end of the day, you know, it still felt like we were having beers. There was, and then we had, uh, we've always gone away and stuck down the brewery and every February we have our kind of corporate retreat it's two or three days. We always go to a Muskoka resort, you know, Deerhurst, one of our good partners or Hidden Valley or something to really experience you know, ice skating, snowshoeing, outdoor winter games, bonfires, you know, what you should be doing in the scope in the winter. And we're like now, you know, and uh, Kelly, uh, who is our, you know, people and culture director and the HR team pulled together this virtual kind of four day conference with breakout rooms and tastings and uh, comedy shows and uh, beer education. And at the end of it, it was like, it was amazing that that could that could still happen in that format and the technology that we used. I think it was the, the app was called Hoover that was able to facilitate us doing that. And it it, it felt like after the four days were over, it, it it felt like we were kind of at our at our retreat. That's so cool, man. You're so right, though. Like imagine what they were doing when they I think it was called the Spanish flu like a hundred years ago. Imagine what they were dealing with. Sort of, you know, we don't, at least there was no connectivity at all. And uh, at least you do have that. So that's amazing you guys were able to make that work. I was actually going to ask, I, I imagine there might be some sort of difference in, in sort of how it was, you know, here in Montreal, it's a bigger city. Um, things got pretty out of control initially and it's fluctuated ever since. Up there in Muskoka, you know, obviously less people, more space. Everyone has a house with yard and stuff like that. How, like... How have you guys, have you had to pivot a lot? Like maybe you had to close a little less than maybe, because I can't even remember the last time breweries were open here, maybe September, something like that. So like restaurants, breweries, no, nothing's been open since then. Patios were open in the summer, but that's basically it. So I don't even barely remember what, you know, what, what life was like when you could pop into a, a brewery and have a drink so ha has it i guess two-part question like how was it for you guys up there maybe just as human beings living in muskoka like you know what was was that experience like and then how you know 
I guess I guess you sort of answered it as far as the pivot for for you guys as far as the virtual things. But was there anything else you guys did to kind of you know keep things going and and uh, you know obviously you were packaging everything, so it wasn't like a smaller brew pub where all of a sudden you go like oh shit now I need a candy machine or you know that type of you would have had completely different problems and challenges than uh, than other breweries maybe not your size. Yeah, do you want to talk to the maybe the first part and I'll. Tackle a second? Yeah, for, for sure. Um, the uh, the first part was living in Muskoka, right? Or was that the yes, staff room? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, living in Muskoka has been been interesting. We haven't had a whole lot of cases here, for for sure. Um, the, the the opposite side of that is we're in cottage country, and all of Toronto has a cottage here. <laughs> so they've uh, our, our population in Muskoka almost doubled in in like two months. So. Gr- just not alone the toilet paper problem. All the grocery stores up here were were always out of food. They they weren't ready for for the population boom to just all spread up here so fast. Um, but other than that, it, our our numbers have stayed reasonably low. Um, we're back in a, a full stay at home order now as of today, actually. So uh, our our patios closed again. Uh, our 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 retail has been like going into our actual tap room. That's been closed since since last March. So uh, over a year now. Okay. Our patio has been was pretty much open for the whole summer. Uh, we, we just closed it yesterday, I believe, due to the stay-at-home order again. So it's been off and on with with, with the actual um, patio and, and tap room per se. But uh, in in the back, we're a really close-knit family for everyone who's in the building. So we take all our precautions as well. So it, it's we, it's a tough one being on a brew house wearing a mask, where you're surrounded by steam and yeah. and all that fun stuff, and trying to breathe with a wet, steamy mask on. But uh, it, it's just it's it's for everyone, right? It's to keep everyone safe and not not just for me or, or someone else. It's it's to keep everyone in, in my family, my my work family, everyone safe, right? So that's it. That's it, man. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are basically it doesn't sound that much different than to the city if you guys were dealing with the same thing. I was wondering if maybe it was a slightly, you know, because back last year when it was back in the day, like <laughs> things have changed so much and time doesn't move like it used to, but yeah, it, it almost feels like that maybe if you're in a uh, you know not in the city, it was moving a little different. Like we were able to travel, we went out east in Quebec, which we've never done before because we're kind of scared of the French because we don't speak a lot of French. And it was <laughs> it was chill. There was like 50 cases a day here. Went to Quebec City. There was basically none. We went to uh, Gaspé Gaspésie, like right out east, like 10 hours east, like 200 cases total, not per day, like total, like basically. Yeah. But they. Yeah. Every time you walked in anywhere, you had to wear a mask. It was the same kind of precaution. So I was just curious to maybe different places had that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, same same kind of thing here. Our numbers aren't crazy high. Like they're happening, but it's not it's not like Toronto where they're getting six, seven hundred cases a day. But uh, it's still all the same precautions, though. Okay. Uh, no, no indoor shopping for retail kind of stuff. Usual stuff. Okay. 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 Cool. Cool. So then for the uh, for the brewery itself, Todd. Yeah, talk to me. Yeah, when it first hit, like for everybody, it was it it was scary. You just you, you know, kind of sent everybody home. You weren't sure. You know, close the tap room. Um, kind of through this whole thing, like even you know a year later, we kind of had as a as a kind of a leadership team. We kind of had three main priorities. First one, obviously, keep keep our team safe. Uh, second one was to keep as many as on the team as employed as long as possible. Uh, and the third was, you know, 
financially keep the brewery's head above water so that coming out of this thing, we can be ready to, to go again. And, and um, happy to say that, you know, everybody stuck together. Uh, we didn't have to let anybody go. Um, we just repurposed, you know, different roles in terms of maybe, you know, some of our event staff and stuff um, ended up, you know, helping out with some direct deliveries. Each, like, I know you talked to a ton of different breweries. Like them, our e-commerce just took off, blew through the roof, our curbside. Um, you know, we did a lot around, you know, working with our, you know, local hospital, the South Muskoka Hospital Foundation and, you know, Frontline Fridays where, you know, you show up and if you're a frontline worker and produce your card, you know, you got a free six pack of cream ale or whatever. A lot of those type of initiatives, we talked about some of the virtual stuff that we did. Um, you know, from day one, we, we, we kind of, we, nobody even in the summer came inside the brewery. So we kind of knocked out a window and put out a takeout window there. We, we, we rented an Airstream trailer and put that out front by the patio and use that to sell beer and merch out of. Um, so kind of trying to put safety first. And although, you know, people would say, well, can we come inside the tap room and we want to go in there and shop for merch or when are you doing brewery tours again? It was, you know, just the, the upside and the risk. It was all, it was, it was always about protecting the team because as much as, as much as this was tough for everybody in the industry, especially a lot of our partners on the on-premise side and, and such good customers is we're pretty fortunate that we were able to stay open and be deemed an essential service and have, you know, the, the beer stores, grocery stores and LCBO still selling beer. And, um, you know, our, our life would change dramatically if, if, you know, if COVID found its way into the brewery and, and kind of right from day one, we've kind of been locked down and super diligent there. And, you know, I just applaud the team for, you know, because it was them really that, 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 that stuck by and, and, and really the discipline around uh, all the new procedures, new protocols, all the new stuff everybody had to learn and go through to get there. It was all about keeping everybody safe. And um, we're fortunate. We're fortunate. I think in, in challenging times like we've been through, because we've been around 25 years, you know, people wanted to get in and out of stores quick. So, you know, a lot of what we've been experiencing, as you know, the past couple of years is people grabbing singles and reading labels and mixing and matching and that consumer behavior changed a little bit. People were getting the hell in and out of stores as fast as they could. So they would go and say, you know what, I know Muskoka, I love my Mad Tom, I'm grabbing a six pack and I'm getting out. So from that point of view, um, not anything we did through the pandemic. It was really, uh, I think, just a lot of, of maybe goodwill and trust that we had built in the, in the 24 years prior that, that people knew that they could turn to our brand. And I always was of the mindset that uh, through the pandemic that people aren't necessarily going to drink more or less. I think they're just going to drink in different channels. And I, and I think the way that the volume shook out for us anyway, uh, compared to 2019, it, it kind of it kind of felt like that, eh, Gary? Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we were all fearing the worst last March. Like, like think everything was going to go down, and then it, it it went the opposite direction. To be honest, in a volume play, like it, especially from from canned goods to keg goods, like it just it, it caught us off guard for sure in March. And like we're we're just getting ready to ramp up for for summer. And we're like, oh, we're, we we got to go. We got to make some beer, guys. We got to get stuff in cans. Yeah, uh, it, it took off fast, like like right away. And I think it, it was weird. Like March, I think 17th is when it all happened. And we were all having a meeting. And we're like, this, this isn't looking good for anyone. 
And then two weeks later, we're like, wow, we, we need to ramp up now. We need to go. Everyone's just at home drinking cans now instead of drinking draft. But it, it, it was definitely just a, a weird yeah. switch. But it, I'm, I'm glad it went that way <laughs> instead of the other way for sure. Yeah. No, you guys were, were definitely well positioned. Like I was saying earlier, you, know, you already had a lot of stuff. And then I guess you like you were saying, Gary, you just got to like you know, switch from that sort of cake production to cans, which probably wouldn't have yeah. been as much of a challenge for you guys as for some other folks who may have had to had a lot more logistics. You know, like I heard yeah. mobile canners just went through the roof. Oh, they're huge. Yeah, I've got a, a buddy who works for one of them and he they're working seven days a week nonstop, just traveling all over Ontario. Crazy. It's, it's nuts. I think the ones from Ontario those, come out here too. I, I would imagine, yeah. Those um, those first few weeks were really scary. Like yeah. it wasn't the, it was a kind of a double whammy because it wasn't necessarily, you know, that that um, you know, our on premise, uh, the on premise business, of course, dried up really quick. Uh, you know, the tap room doors were were shut. Um you know, reducing hours and, and closing Mondays at the LCBO and beer store reducing hours. And um, on top of that, within, I think, the first three weeks, we took back almost $100,000 in kegs that we ate. Like, we, 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 took, we took that back. And that just added to the, oh, this is not a good situation. And then to Gary's point, you know, bit of a really tough April and and weren't sure and then the weather started to turn and i think people realized that they were maybe in for the long haul and and uh and the bit of pantry loading maybe went on at that point too as they realized they were going to be stuck there for a while and then uh, we, we were fortunate to have a good weather summer that you know you say whatever you want about great marketing or programming or or, or whatever but uh nothing beats a good old-fashioned hot summer and we had one of those last year so when it like to gary's point when we it came roaring back in in you know towards the May long weekend into June, it was like the, the floodgates opened and and it was like that pretty much the whole summer. Wow! But it was it was it was the unknown the first six weeks or eight weeks. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, mean, I think back on that time and it just you just didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. Yeah, it was it's so crazy. It's like we're so desensitized to it all now. We're just like, all right, well, I guess this is what it is and there's no kind of end in sight. So we're all kind of just, you know, used to it. Did you guys get sorry, that is such an incredible number for the volume of kegs you took back. Were you able to re I heard some breweries were able to repurpose the kegs into crowlers or cans or something. Were you able to at least do that or was that like either dumped or staff beers or something? Go ahead, Gary. You kind of led that project. Yeah, we were we were able to save save a fair amount there. Uh, again, just just trying to repurpose it in different channels. Uh, obviously, not sending it to retail. We, we did eat a, a big chunk of it. Uh, I'm sure the bars were very happy that we were we were going to bring them back for them. Uh, but we were able to save save a few things. Save, save a few. Same thing with with the growlers and, and going that way. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I know a lot of, I think Bose was one that they, they, uh, they were sending it out to be distilled and stuff. And, uh, we, we had a, a bread maker contact us too, to see if they could have some to, to make their head, but they just weren't ready for the volume that we would have had. So that, that didn't pan out, unfortunately. Jeez. Well, at least you're able to save some of it. Cause that is an astonishing number. Um, crazy times. Look, we've been like chatting hard and not moving through these beers quick enough. You want to I was going to say, yeah, I think we, uh, 
mean, the next one. Here. What are we doing, boys? I think we'll go with uh, the blueberry treasure here. All righty. Get a little sweet tooth going. Perfect. Um, I'm going to get the washroom bowl, grab it. Um, this is, uh, I think, the is it the fourth or fifth beer, beer in this series? Is that right? This is the uh, the fourth one, yep. The fourth one. All right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go grab it and use the washroom. I'll be back in like 30 seconds. But do you want to maybe just talk about the the, the series maybe first and just explain what what is the Kawatha Dairy Collab and what this is? That would be uh, great. I'll be back in a sec. Absolutely, Todd. If you just want to touch on what the the collab is, and I can touch on the the growth of where where we went the four collabs with them, and I can yeah, about this I one guess, as well. I guess year four. Um, so. It all started through a friendship of um, uh, Craig Prentice, who uh, led the sales team uh, for a while at the Perth Brewery, and a you know big part of our journey. And, and he, had, he had a good friend, I think, a fishing buddy uh, on a trip uh, that was at Kawartha Dairy, and you know two kind of iconic cottage country brands. Um, you know, Craig and I had been to a number of, of uh, you know, beer shows at that point. We were selling in New York State spending time down there. And I, I think it was, uh, it was Ben and Jerry's. I think was it new Belgium. I think maybe had a Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So, yeah. we, we tried that and, 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 you know, immediately we kind of looked at each other and, and Craig said, maybe that's time that we reach out to my contact. At and they're just a nice, you know, family run business, high quality. If you try their ice cream, it speaks for itself. Uh, pretty unbelievable. And especially, in, in any of it, like with uh, Blueberry Treasure, uh, you know, a scoop of it uh, as a uh, as a beer float is awesome. And we just hit it off. We just hit it off with the folks. We, uh, we they're in Bob Cajun. We did a road trip, um, met with them, uh, tasted a whack of ice cream. That's another tough day at the office. Uh, they came to the brewery, sampled some different beers, and uh, and then we went from there. And uh, I'm trying to remember our very first beer, Gary, that we did with them was what? Salty Caramel Truffle. Ooh, right. Yes. And Key Lime Pie last year, Key and then the, uh, yeah. uh, the Black Raspberry Thunder. That was the one. Black Raspberry Thunder. Um, so all different styles, all kind of going into the into that, and hopefully, and Gary's going to walk you through the beer here in a minute, uh, Craig. Yes. Really, it's not just a blueberry beer. It had to reflect the ice cream. It had to like. With all those beers, it wasn't just about well, because like like last year it was it was key lime that it's a lime beer. No, it's got to reflect key lime pie. It has to have that that sweetness and 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 it has to have you know, the graham cracker and, and you have to taste it all. It has to be a real reflection of the ice cream and and the the, the brew team's done an awesome job with this one too. I think nailing it. So I'll turn it over to you, Gary, to talk about this one. Yes, please. Yeah, absolutely. So. We, we usually sit around a big, big table and, and look at all the ice cream brands that they have and say, well, which one can we make into a beer? And uh, Todd and, and the uh, SLT team kind of gave me an option. I was like, well, I think we could go Blueberry Treasure this year. It sounds beerable, I guess. Beerable. And uh, after eating the ice cream, it was uh, it's, it's a very sweet ice cream, uh, vanilla forward. Uh, with with cups of blueberry and uh, pomegranate, and then swirls of uh, cream cheese. So like it, really creamy, really decadent. So uh, just just trying to get the blueberry to pop in this was, was the main thing, and then trying to get that that touch of tartness from the the pomegranate 
but mainly just getting that real creamy finish, uh, like like the ice cream with with the lactose and um, yes, yeah, flaked oats, uh, and and just trying to nail that color too. Like we really want it to be blueberry. Everyone thinks blueberry is blue, but it's it's not. If, if you drink any blueberry juice, yeah, <laughs> it does but, not uh, look yeah, like this at all. Cheers for mm. it's it's a very hey, light hey, heavy hey. beer. Cheers, boys. Appreciate you. This is great. When this first came out, this is just something really stupid, but my friend Nathan, who's our lead blogger, and I, we were heavy into lactose when Milkshake IPAs came out. So we made a Twitter account called Team Lactose, mostly just to kind of piss off the purists who used to get mad about anything with lactose. I feel like that, <laughs> the purist anger has moved to smoothie sours and other things right now. So I remember you guys being kind of a little earlier on the uh, milkshake train because I feel like people, a lot of breweries didn't yeah. really do it at first. So I remember the salted caramel. I remember the blackberry super like, and the key lime. I had both of those many times. So it was really cool to see. I feel like you guys are one of the few to do it at scale, I guess is probably what I'm saying as well. Um, you know, a lot of people just did little small batch one-offs and stuff like that, which is great. But you guys pushed the lactose movement forward and I appreciate you for it. <laughs> you know, yeah. We're probably all in this business for a reason, and a lot, you know, it's it's a fun industry. The relationships, the the people you meet, the places you go, the, um, you know, it's it's funny. I was I was tuning in. Um, I really enjoyed your uh, your chat with the the with with uh, Mike and and Chris from the Craft Branco and yes. talking about. You know, Beer karma and and how things come around and how you're treated when you travel and and how it's completely you know how you collaborate and how you work together and once you, you go somewhere and, and they find out you're with a brewery you know how you're treated and taken care of and you know this is one of these things all four years of this beer it's it's really been about the fun like it's not rocket science it's about us like Gary said getting together with the guys from Kawartha uh, having some ice cream having some beers. And trying to, to not take it too seriously and saying, let's have some fun with it. And, um, you know, we've done it different ways. This, this, uh, blueberry treasure is actually, um, one of their best selling ice creams. So it's a, it's a nice, but last year we did a bit of a different route is with, with key lime pie. They didn't have a key lime pie ice cream, but we launched a key lime pie beer and then they launched the key lime pie ice cream for the summer. So it was kind of new for both. So we've kind of done both where we've tapped into, you know, one of their, you know, maybe an ice cream that's been around for a while or, uh, or gone this route. Um, this one's super delicious. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm really, it's super soft. I'm just writing a couple of little single word tasting notes here. Like it's very soft here. The sweetness from the lactose, like it gives it a, a bit of body, but you haven't kind of like back in the day, I would have been like, yeah, just pour all the lactose in. But in reality, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I like that you guys didn't go, you've kept it kind of soft you've complemented the body i mean it's only five percent so it's like super light um but the the lactose gives it just that touch bit of a boost with a little bit of sweetness but you really kept it subtle which i you know i genuinely appreciate and it, and it complements i feel like the lactose brings out the lets the fruit shine a little bit more for some reason it provides a bit of a, a base maybe gary you could say if i'm wrong there or not but i kind of feel like with fruits like blueberry and like there's a touch of pomegranate you're saying like does the lactose give it like a bit of a blank canvas to kind of help it shine a little bit uh it, it depends on the amount of lactose and i think right. it's like what you said we, we tried to balance this one out as much where where it wasn't overly sweet uh and then 
a lot a lot of styles like this a lot of people go heavy vanilla we just try to keep that vanilla subtle vanilla just just as a touch yeah like like vanilla can go so hard so fast uh, we just yeah. wanted balance and, and i think it still has to be a beer at the same time too so you have to keep that balance and and i think it turned out really well and i just can't get over the color of it to be honest mm. i could look at it all day long <laughs> oh it's gorgeous man is this going to be a series that you guys uh, are going to continue to do I mean, now you're four in, four years deep, but it's pretty, seems to be a thing. As long as you don't run out of ice creams, we were talking about that in our, our planning. Uh, they've, they've got a lot of great ice cream. And um, so, yeah, I just, it's just, it's a great, now there's no, you know, there's no shared revenue or, you know, there's not a signed contract. There's nothing like that. It's just a handshake agreement of, uh, two kind of cottage country brands, you know, coming together to maybe, you know, have some fun and, and, and make a bit of news and, and, and have some, you know, launch a good beer. And uh, the folks at Quarth are just as on board as us. We always send over a bunch of cases to their staff and, and they get behind it pretty quick too. So, um, yeah, we see it, you know, I'm not sure the runway on something like that, but, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you Google, you go on Quarth, you know, Dairy's website, uh, there's still a, a, a few flavors to go, I would say. I love that. I feel like now it's like four years straight, at, you know, even if it is like a once-off. I think there's something kind of cool about that, that you've, you've kept it to, you know, you've kept it a regular thing. It's local. It's, you know, you've kept it about the region, which is authentic to the brand, I would imagine, too, and something you guys really stand behind, that you, you know, there's a real relationship there. So the whole project is authentic and i imagine that there's a lot of people who would be pretty upset if you guys uh pulled it as well at this point i know we get a every year after like say black black raspberry thunder it was done once it was done and we still get calls on black raspberry thunder or salty caramel every year it's like we want this one back well we got to do something new <laughs> yeah um but no it, it's great working with quarter dairy they're, they're a great company to work with i feel like they're they're what we are just in the ice cream world and uh, even working with their staff getting uh, like there's, there's actually the blueberry cranberry vanilla cups in the beer. So getting, getting those cups from them has always been easy and a blast and, and working with them. So blueberry cranberry vanilla cups and like a waffle cone. Yep. Wow. Uh, no, it's like a, like a little chocolate cup, like kind of like a yeah. little Reese's cup, but just white chocolate and uh, blueberry and pomegranate. Oh shit. That's crazy. Okay. I was going to actually ask, which maybe it probably isn't, but you don't actually put the ice cream in there. You try to re like recreate the flavor. I imagine ice cream would yeah. just mess it up. Probably too oily or whatever. Yeah. You, you don't want the ice cream in there, but we, I, I tried to tie in some of their ingredients as well, just to, to bring it full circle kind, kind of thing mm -hmm. for sure. And I think the, the blueberry cups were, were the right way to go. Yeah. The, what does that yeah. actually deliver? Is it, is it like subtle? Uh, there, there's a lot more other stuff in there, so I don't know if it actually added a whole lot, but uh, it's in there to to be in there. But it, it worked out to be like 60 kilograms of these little cups. I don't know if 60 kilograms went into every batch because I'm sure some brewers took some handfuls yeah, and ate them as they were walking <laughs> to the brew house. Um, but uh, it's it's good. You could smell them as as they're going into the kettle. I don't know if if a lot came through uh, to the finished product just because there is a lot of blueberry puree and pomegranate puree, lactose, vanilla. There's, there's a lot going on in there as well. So it, it's hard to say if, if that is coming through because all of those flavors are meant to 
bring that through as well, right? So. No, totally. And if we get through this thing and we get our patio open again, Craig, like with the other uh, three, uh, a course of launches, we do floats at the brewery. So we have the ice cream at the tap room and you can order floats. And uh, how's that? It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hot summer day in a patio and a beer float. You can't go wrong. Oof, I don't think I've ever had a beer float before. And even more so, a, a beer float with a beer that was made from the ice cream. And you put that ice cream. A in beer, beer float. A beer, beer float. That's <laughs> so sick. It's a big project for the summer. I'm trying to get out. We're trying to uh, look for something uh, right now. We want, like, I guess we're, we're still, like, we're idiots because we're trying to book something for, say, July. Because we weren't sure what was going to happen. We're like, oh, I wonder if we could go somewhere. And my partner, who's our podcast producer, is her birthday in July. So we usually, it would be nice to get to a cottage and something like that. We tried to just look at a few and just, like, it's just all, everything's grayed out for July. Like, everything's already kind of booked. So we didn't know what to do. I imagine Muskoka's probably booked out heavily. Hearing oh, it's, it's, it's been nuts for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the only they safe don't. thing to do, right? You just get a nice little place near a lake or something. and can't You're still secluded, but you're away. Yep. But you're away, so just a different change of pace. You just bring a bunch of stuff from, from home. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I booked a, a week trip in, in the summer a little farther up north for camping, and like it was with a – Ontario parks and you have to be on the website at like six o'clock in the morning trying to fight to get the, the site you want. It's, it's insane right now. Just trying to get all those things booked. It, it's nuts. Jeez. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I was like, uh, I wonder if people are, are going to do it. Cause like we were saying, saying oh, this, earlier, there's so much uncertainty just across the board. So I was kind of like, ah, oh, maybe things, things will maybe looking good, you know, in January, even January, two, three months ago, we're kind of like, oh, maybe things will be okay by May, June. You never know. Like, <laughs> obviously not. So, you know, you wait a little bit and then maybe, I bet this stuff was probably mostly booked out like winter last year, like December type of thing. People were already booked for July type of thing and didn't consider it, but that would be the optimal way. I, I was, I was, I haven't been up to Muskoka for a while actually. So that was one of our like, oh, should we go up to Ontario? Because I don't know enough of the, the different re particularly here in Quebec, I know kind of Jack. I know a little bit more. I've been to Muskoka a few times, but it's been a while. But I know that's more, you know, oh, well, th th there seems to be a ton of lakes. So hopefully there's some places. But yes, yeah, so I guess that's what uh, what everyone's doing this summer. Getting the, uh, getting yeah, it definitely seems like it. It was actually almost funny to me that you guys live where all the city people are trying to be and that you guys are trying to go somewhere even more remote. Farther, yeah. <laughs> Farther away from them. <laughs> Kind of part That's of my life, Hey, man, it makes sense. I love that. Um, speaking of the different regions, one new thing you guys are doing, which kind of blew my mind, and and uh, Val, uh, who's from your, uh, is Val on the social? Yeah, Val's yeah, on our PR. Or something. Okay, so PR. Yeah. Yes, she's fantastic, and um, she just casually dropped that you guys are moving into Quebec this month which is kind of wild because I've lived here for coming up on, I think eight years, eight or nine years, 2012, what's that? That's nine years, Jesus Christ. And um, the thing about Quebec is it's mostly local. They have a little, we have a little crazy laws here as far as getting that in. And there's probably, I can count on one hand, the amount of out of province breweries, maybe two hands tops, um, aside from macro stuff, you know, within the country. 
um, that we're able to get in here. So the fact that you guys are about to move in here is fantastic news. I think Quebec beer drinkers will be pretty stoked to, to hear about that. So could you guys tell us what's going on? What are the dates? What beers are coming? Where can they find them? What's happening? That's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're pretty fired up because it's been a, a long time coming. We always felt, um, we've always exported to other provinces and it, it's kind of felt funny to us for a long time that we, you know, we, we, we jump over, you know, the second most populous province in the country to, to sell beer in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Newfoundland and PI. And we do quite well in those markets, particularly Newfoundland. That, and uh, they love their Mad Tom on the rock. Yeah. Uh, right from day one, yeah. There's a big beer club out there, and, and, uh, and, and they got a hold of Mad Tom early days, and, and um, have been great, and, and we've done lots of stuff. But it's been it's been funny because you know we're you know, we're right beside Quebec and and obviously Montreal is a, a big city and and just the potential there in terms of you know the, the growth and the, and the volume um, but we never know to crack that nut or find the right partner to crack that nut with so we're we're with a a, a company called CDL and um, Michelle leads that with us uh, Ross Buchanan is our vice president of sales is it's been the better part of like I say probably we've been talking about it for three years but probably you know first meeting with the the SAQ and starting to get the, the ball rolling yeah probably two and a half years ago and and now finally getting all the approvals and everything we needed um uh we've actually hired as of last week we've hired our our first uh sales rep uh in Quebec uh, Robbie uh oh, yeah. and he lives in um so he just started this week. I just met him. Uh, he's awesome, and he's taking everything in. And so we're gonna, um, you know, we're we're taking a lot of, uh, you know, we're saying it's tough during the pandemic of, of not being able to to just get into the market and, and and ride along with some some reps and meet some customers and get the lay of the land. It's it's tough. So we're really relying on on CDL, who are our partners there, and Michelle. And, and their team to kind of point it the right way in terms of where we need to be in terms of uh, depanniers and, and gas stations and grocery and what are the channels. But um, we're going to lead with our IPA family. So we're coming in with Detour, Mad Tom, Hazy and Confused, and Twice as Mad. Nice. We're, we're hearing that there's a, a continued big appetite for, for really good quality IPAs in, in the Quebec market. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, lots of lager options and other options and, and you know so we felt that if we were going to kind of enter and step into that market we needed to do it with our best foot forward and we're really proud of of, of what we do uh, with our IPA family and, the, and, and Mad Tom and, and you're going to see more of that in the future but uh, yeah those are the, the four brands we're going to come with um, everything is kind of on track right now and we're hoping to have actually our first shipment go out um, and uh and hopefully on the shelf um, uh, sometime uh, within the first two weeks of May. That's amazing. I love that. That's a, that's a, I think that's a great, great plan as far as getting the IPA family out here. The, we, we were talking about this uh, offline earlier. I feel like the, the, there, isn't, um, there isn't a huge presence of Ontario breweries out here. It's really like, like if you think Ontario, I can think of two maybe three that are that are here 
So I think it'll be super interesting. Um, my theory is that just because people can't travel now, they're looking for something new. And, you know, now that even between provinces, it's a little sketch being that Ontario, you guys are pushing you know, over 3,000 cases a day. I just saw today Quebec is back to 1,600 when we were at 600 like a week or two ago. So oh, yeah. it's it's all kind of pretty shitty times right there. So because people can't travel, that appetite for something new has never left. And you guys are really scratching that itch over here with uh, with what you're doing, you know, because it's it's a quality, high quality West Coast IPAs with the Mad Tom series that I feel like West Coast is being more appreciated when they come out. People are like, yeah, because it's like a change of pace from, you know, the New Englands that uh, I guess running the market right now. The Haze and Confuse, I think, is one of the best year round um, New England IPAs, particularly available in the LCBO in Ontario for sure. So I think people are really going to enjoy that one. So it's a, I think it's a great look. To, to come in here with those beers and then you know as as you go i imagine you'll be able to have the opportunity to, to add more brands through is that usually how it works yeah we kind of same thing you know walk before we run and and, and really make sure that we're not biting off more that we can chew and you know understand our the customers and and and, and you know build that relationship with our, our partners at cdl and and yeah it's it, you know you know Hopefully those insights, uh, Craig, that you, you know, I heard this, this term and I thought it was, it was good. We, we talked about it as part of our planning session and it's called domestic hedonism. That, domestic that, hedonism. Okay. Yeah. People, people are still uh, staying at home, mm -hmm. but they, they want to go a bit wild and they want to treat themselves. They've done without and they felt that they've been deprived and it's been a tough year for everybody and, and they want to let loose a little bit and maybe, Maybe that let loose doesn't mean that they, maybe they still have to be at home to let loose. And that may mean discovery and trying new brands and an appetite to, to try something new. Um, so yeah, we're hoping it's been, you know, the other thing for us was, you know, all of our cans on our core brands, you know, we don't, we don't do wraps, they're printed cans. Um, so you have to do significant volumes of those cans. So, we started making that switch into into our core brands being bilingual, um, you know, like a year and a half ago in preparation for um, you know, coming coming to Quebec and coming into Quebec the right way. So, okay. uh, yeah, it's something that uh, so this goes to show how, in terms of your your question before Craig on you know advanced planning and how far do you have to be out ahead of things? Um, you know, the brands that we we're bringing there, uh, you know we knew even a couple of years back that, you know, we, we needed to make that switch. And it's, it's significant when you look at the packaging and, and volumes that, that you do. So, um, but it's the right way to come to the market for sure. I can imagine on that, uh, very convenient segue note, shall we, uh, jump hey. into the next, would that be haste? Yeah, I think you read my mind on to talking about the IPA series, and yeah, it would be haste. I'm just going to yes. rinse my glass out real quick here. Of course. Thank you so much. So this beer was a uh, a big, a big. Not, I was going to say surprise. I don't know if surprise is the word. I've been super impressed by this beer. I'm uh, uh, like I, I'm a big fan of, of New England IPAs, um, and. Typically, the you know, the ones that make it to the LCBO, it's a little it's a little tougher 
to um, you know the LCBOs don't always treat these beers with the respect that they deserve. And um, since you guys have done this, how long has it been now? Couple so years. this this brand actually has a bit of a story behind it, Craig. And yeah, it's, it's actually it's it, it's changed our kind of approach. So this brand was actually born in May of 2017. Okay. So like think about that. That was four years ago and it's kind nice. of kind of hitting stride now. So it was part of our I'm not sure how familiar you are with our Moonlight Kettle program. I'm super so, familiar, yes yeah, sir. Yeah. So our that's we we kind of kicked off that program back in twenty fifteen. You know, for those, you know, listeners that, that don't know what it is, it's, it's you know, we under the you know, the guise of the full moon, you know, once a month we kind of uh, you know we make something fun and innovative, gloves off, you know sky's the limit, whatever you want to do, we pair a brewer up with, uh, you know, two other people from the brewery. Uh, you got to submit your names. Usually there's a bit of a waiting list because we're working, you know, sometimes more than a year in advance because this has been going on since, since 2015. So it could be someone from finance, marketing, sales, operations, whatever. We give you a hundred bucks and then you go for lunch. So the three of you go for lunch and you talk about beer. Yeah, maybe someone's been to Belgium, maybe someone has traveled to the States and tried something really cool or Germany and they want to try that. And then, you know, they pick the name, and, you know, as long as it's not offensive, uh, they pick the, they pick the style. They work with Gary and the brew team to develop the recipe. Um, and we launch it kind of in small batches. You know, this year we launched, in, you know, some bigger batches in the LCBO, um, you know, pr probably going back to the DNA of what, what, uh, you know, Moonlight Kettle is. And it's really unique one-off, Staff driven, and the reality is, is some stuff's really good and hits a home run, like hazy infused, and some stuff isn't, and it goes away after a month. And that's the that's part of the innovation experimental process. So, what happened traditionally, and and what I'm trying to get to is, we had this brand in, in May of 2017. It was a Moonlight Kettle brand. So traditionally, what would happen is we sell in small batches. It would sell out within the month, which this did. Mm -hmm. We realized, oh, wow, this, you know, there's something going on here back in 2017 with this hazy beer. The following year, we put it in our mixer pack. And then if it did well in the mixer, we got good feedback in year three, you know, we'd launch it as a standalone brand. So, okay. you know, really, you know, we rebranded this year. The name stayed the same, but we rebranded to tie it closer to the Mad Tom family. But when you think about it, it almost took us four years from the time that we first drank this beer to get it to market, which isn't. The pace that the, the business is moving and, and how quick things are coming to market, we realized we had to change that up. And and now, you know, if if we're confident on something, you know, we take a bit of a leap of faith and we're kind of launching it the next year, which, you know, we, we've done with, uh, you know, a, a number of brands since. And it's, it's real bragging rights. If you go from having a kind of a unique one-off paper label, only sold in the tap room to you know, a, a full scale brand like Hazy and Confused, you know, it's a, you know, it's a bit of you know, bragging, right? So this beer for us, if this is probably, if I say, if you pulled our, our staff of 120, you know, this beer would win in terms of, you know, what's your go-to beer? Um, I think right now for our staff, uh, I think Gary would agree, this is probably the go-to beer. So I love the way this pours. It's, it's, a, it's a big, you know, soft orange glow, big haze, usually has a big, big frothy head. Um, awesome nose. 
really a little bit of sweetness and maltiness actually up front. Um, really silky mouthfeel. And then you get then the hops stick in. You get that kind of juicy citrus, you know, whether tangerine, orange, apricot kick, uh, and a little bit of, you know, bitterness at the back end, but, but, but definitely not your, of course, you know, West Coast style IPA bitterness you get in, in Mad Tom as it's a New England IPA. And we really love this beer. It's, uh, you know, I think the team has done a good job. I think the biggest challenge on this beer, and, and maybe I'll turn it over to you, Gary, from you've got more experience than me on the technical side is, is as we tried to ramp up and, and this is now a core brand for us and a big, you know, hopefully a, a big future volume driver for us because we really believe in the beer is, is, um, is as we started to build and, and grow that volume, and sometimes we'd be weeks to get to there, we'd be weeks between brews, the yeast, the, the I think the foggy London presented some challenges uh, to get to this point, right, Gary? Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's like any big hoppy beer, right? Like you want to enjoy it as fresh as possible. It's it's gonna, it's not gonna last as long as your lagers or anything. So we, we're always trying to keep it small batch, fresh, constant. Um, but but in the last year, it's it's just grown so much. Like do, doing our smaller batches, our smaller fermenters, it's it's okay. tough. It's, it's an in between size. So like uh, going from our our small fermenters to our big fermenters, a big fermenter is almost too much. A small fermenter is too little. If we go with a big fermenter, we're not going to brew it weekly. And then like the, the yeast strain itself, just it, it doesn't store well. So like, if we don't brew it weekly, then we have to go buy a new yeast strain. So it's, it's good that it's growing now um, because we can actually con consistently do large fermenters of it or large batches and uh, still keep it fresh almost weekly per se instead of having having a two-month-old one like we, we want our customers to, to enjoy haze especially haze infused fresh we want everyone to drink all our beers fresh but especially haze being that that hoppy new england oxygen is going to kill that beer so fast so we, we want people to to enjoy that fast so it, it's been a a growing pain getting it to where it is but now that it is where it is it should make our lives a lot easier on the, the process side of things gotcha has there been a was there like a difference in the actual out like final product when you went from the smaller to the larger fermenters with scaling it up like it basically I feel, I feel I'm pretty sure it's basically the same thing. Uh no, we've it's it's kept pretty pretty consistent pretty pretty consistent along okay. the lines. The, the original brew was uh quite different. Like the original Moonlight Kettle, it had a uh, Amarillo fresh hops, um, a bunch of different stuff, but we we had to make it more production friendly once we were scaling it up for sure finding yeah. full cone hops amarillo is not an easy task either no, um so, so once we actually scaled it up uh amarillo uh mosaic and mandarina bavaria okay hence the citrus okay that makes sense yeah i see what you mean about the the french on here this this is the move right here i like that it's gonna definitely <laughs> save you a headache later you already got all the uh the key marks for here in Quebec, which is great. Um, yeah, I think okay. the only thing we're missing now is the the, the crowns, the lids. I think oh, they that. have to say the, the tops of the lids. I think they have to say something. I, we, I think we're getting them. I think that's the only thing we're missing as of right now. And that's it. Okay, that's good. 25 uh, cent deposit or whatever. Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? I keep everything and I take them back to Ontario. We rent a car and go back every couple of months and just take them back to Ontario because here is a <laughs> nightmare to take back. Uh, Oh yeah, empties. They just they don't make it simple. You have to buy it from the store to take it back today. If they don't sell it, they won't take it back. So if you're getting stuff from all over, it doesn't doesn't make it easy. 
But um, we should be making recycling easier, not harder. <laughs> that, well, that's what I'm saying. My, uh, I was told that the reason they did it in Ontario was that people weren't recycling enough, so they had to give an incentive. Hence the beer store situation. So like, yeah, I could take them back to the supermarket and I could try and bullshit them and give them a bag that has mostly Quebec stuff on the outside and just pile it with stuff on the inside and they probably won't check. But it's just yep. easier to take them back to the beer store. You don't have to do it. There's one, you know, it's like an hour from here, half like halfway to Ottawa type of thing, which isn't too bad. Gives you a day trip and go to the LCB. Yeah. Grab some Ontario stuff. Get some hit, hit some other, yeah, hit some Ontario beers for sure. Yeah, people people here love that stuff. Like that particular store in Hawkesbury, Ontario is a big one for for uh, yeah. you know, Quebec people just wanting to grab a bunch of stuff. And we talked about it with, funnily enough, with Mike and Chris from Craft uh, Branco. And I had a couple people hit me up like, yo, I'm here now. Like, what should I get? <laughs> Let me hook you up. Yeah, it's um, it's great. But I feel like I feel like people are going to really enjoy this. So, so I think this is this is super exciting. So I'm I'm glad that we we got to talk about this here because, yeah, like you were saying, I like that that the whole treat thing in a, in a time when, yeah, not much is exciting that's going on, and and the 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 most exciting thing you can do is get a product from somewhere else. Like you said, that you haven't tried before. It's a little bit exotic to to you. Um, I think that's great, and uh, you know, people are super into that. You know, and it saves them having to travel, and it's got both you know languages on there, so everybody can understand. And it's uh, you know, these bad boys will definitely stand out on the shelf here because people would not have seen these before, which I I love. It's we're uh, we're excited about that that yeah. can Craig. When it, so when when we realized we wanted to be a full-time brand. It was like, it kind of came into the LCBO as a, like a moonlight kettle. Like it was a black can. It was still called Hazy and Confused, but it was, the branding was more aligned to moonlight kettle. And, uh, uh, you know, Sarah and the marketing team in terms of, you know, you know, Mad Tom, we, we want to link Mad Tom to our IPA family. It's, if you look at, you know, twice as mad, you know, Mad Tom, Hazy and Confused, you know, Mad Tom is a character, you know, He's he's a bit brash and and crusty and has an attitude and uh, uh, you know I think the character was created um, in terms of you know maybe being a bit of a bitter guy which is really reflective of that you know first West Coast IPA beer that we launched in terms of being bitter so Mad Tom still has an attitude but we're having some fun with him and we're taking him across so we we rebranded this uh, it came out. Uh, I guess later last year, mm. and I think it really it pops on shelf. Everybody loves, you know, what's in the can, and, and that was never in doubt. And and I just think that the can now better reflects what you're going to get in terms of uh, that package. So we're really excited, you know, hopefully about what what Hazing Infuse is going to do uh, in the Quebec market. Yeah, I love that. The bre- the rebrand. That's a great uh, a great kind of segue to that. Um, I remember, I guess it was only probably what, like, like late last year where the new ones came out for the, th- for these three only. Is that correct? It was Hayes, Mad Tom and Double Mad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that rebrand come from? Cause I guess Mad Tom was kind of that cream ale kind of style with, you know, this, the, this thing at the top. And this is, like I said, the new school version of it, but it, it, it was sort of in a can similar to this. Um, Hayes had the the black one. I was just checking on um, Untapped as we were telling me about it here and trying to see which one I had. So I had the Moonlight Kettle 2018 version. Okay. So I guess yeah. I don't I don't think I got the 20 
when I search for the word Muskoka Haze, they're the only ones that come up. So I definitely tried that when it was the, um, if people can see that, like the black can, like that. Yep. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that would have been the uh, the first release to LCBO for it. Yeah. And that would have been in the uh, Survivor pack, I think. That sounds about right. Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, that had Luna Haze and they had, uh, yeah, that, that was a fire pack actually. And that was the one that blew my mind. Because, oh yeah. The Hopsonic. Yeah. The Hopsonic. Yeah. Pack. yeah the Hopsonic cool. pack. Yo, that yeah. shit was so fire. And, and because a brewery at your scale, that is a, I would argue that I would probably, if someone asked me, I would call Muskoka a gateway brewery with a, um, a complete level of respect. I feel like gateway breweries are the most underrated, under-respected breweries in craft beer because the breweries that appeal to those who are trying who, who are you know drinking coolers and molson or whatever and want to come to craft and this is it kind of gives them that bridge across so you guys allow them the bridge with brands like tread lightly and the cream ale and things like and the craft lager um which is available in a lot of places that uh it's the only craft option alongside a bunch of um i've seen it before in um new market there was a pub my friend got married and we went to a bar afterwards and we all got pictures of craft lager because that was the main thing that was on tap aside from all the macros. So I was like, ah, oh, it was one of the first times I realized the point of that beer and the point was to be like, no, no, no. See, look, we're from here, man. Come try this. And like, see how much flavors in this and it's made locally and we're investing in the community. I, it, you know, they're a good point. Craig. I'd be, I'd be interested to get, your thoughts on because you know even in terms of you know getting getting on with you and finally being able to have a chat it's, it's like we like i get it and we get it we talk a lot about it as a team of muskoka we're we've been around for 25 years we're not the cool new kid on the block there's so many you know good breweries you know fairweather godspeed like they're in ontario and, and in, in canada like there's just a ton of and and we look to a lot of those guys for inspiration too, and they push us. Um, so sometimes it feels like, you know, being around for as long as you are, you need to continue to innovate. You need, yeah, we have core brands and maybe, you know, older horses in our stable, like cream ale that, that kind of still chug along, but it's really important that we keep innovating and stuff. And I'll never forget. Um, it was, it was before the pandemic, uh, a couple of years back, um, I think I was meeting Ren actually for a beer and uh, it was at a bar, a craft beer bar in Kitchener and they, they probably had 20, 25 beers on, you know, on tap and, and they didn't have Muskoka and, and, you know, I said, you know, I got some great selection here. Just curious on, you know, Muskoka, you know, would you ever think of putting Muskoka on tap? And he's like, uh, nah, you guys are too big. Hmm. And I thought that's so Canadian of it. It's like, I think of, some really big breweries down in the state that maybe don't have that, you know, like Stone or, you know, Dogfish Head or there's a whole, you, know, you name them. They're like, we're minuscule compared to, to those, to, to those breweries. Oh, absolutely. And it, it feels like, um, it's like a stigma know, almost. You know, in a way we got to apologize for, you know, you've talked about it before on your podcast about it's the balance between the, you know, we're in this business because we love it and the, the, the artisanal uh, uh, part of it and the creative part of it and the relationships and the cool people in the business that you don't get in any other industry. But on the other hand, we also 
we also want to grow the business. We want to create jobs. We, we, we want to, especially in an economically, you know, deprived area like Bracebridge. A lot of people see Muskoka in the summer when it's jammed and bustling and, you know, the, the streets are packed. But, you know, ask Gary, like it's a long winter up there. There's not a lot of, there's a lot of construction jobs. There's not a lot of 12 month jobs. And, you know, we're contributing to a lot of that. We're the first brewery in Canada to pay a living wage. And, and, you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, you, you sometimes get lost in the shuffle because there's so much other good news out there. There's so many other cool innovations and cool new breweries. And, uh, you know, you get left behind a little bit sometimes. And I think that that forces you to, to come out with new stuff, to, yeah. to continue to innovate and to, to come out with bigger beers. But uh, I'd be curious as to your thoughts, because, you know, you definitely feel sometimes that like that conversation I had with that bar in Kitchener, that you're apologizing for growing. That's a, it's a really great point. I think the, 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 the moment I realized you guys were as big as you were, it was, it was either last year or the year before um, we were in Toronto and we got off a Queen Street station on the TTC and there was a Muskoka, like the billboard thing. And we were like, oh, <laughs> fuck, they got like TTC billboard money? Like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, and it blew, like, I thought I should know better. Like, this is kind of what we do and I was like I didn't realize and I never and like I own a business right so I feel like the main thing about craft beer is that some people don't forget that this is a business so I look at that and I was impressed and be like I get it now I and mean, we've we've been dealing with Sarah before when you know she was running social and then Val and they've been so lovely and and so professional and we own a social media agency so when I see a company a brewery, a brewery specifically that has dedicated marketing, dedicated social media, I'm like, oh, thank God you get it because breweries don't typically get it. So there's definitely that side that I feel like maybe I'm a bit differently positioned to appreciate about you guys and I don't see it as a, uh, a bad thing in any shape or form because beer is a business and you obviously are doing something right. You don't get to that point where you're able to afford to, to chuck a thing up in a, you know, literally the middle of the TTC, like one of the busiest stations if you're not doing something right, you're not making good products. So I think there's that. I think the gateway breweries, what I was saying before, are underrated. Gateway breweries are what makes the industry run. Like all the hype and stuff is fun and it's awesome and I love it. I, I genuinely do and I these people are my friends and, and I really, I really uh, enjoy it. But the breweries that are bringing new people to the industry don't get valued by the beer nerds because they're too busy looking for the next busy you know cool thing we're already here so you guys serve a purpose to bring people across that gate whilst also satiating them with fun stuff like you're putting lacto making milkshake ipas you're the probably the biggest brewery that makes milkshake ipas that i can think of in canada and and, and doing it well um and that's what i was saying just before about the hop sonic pack i was so impressed by that because there were so many beers in different styles, whether it was the, the Haze and Confused, which is definitely my favorite beer from you guys, um, consistent. I love the, the hopping, the way that you've approached it. It's kind of a little bit east meets west with that citrusy, the Mandarina, Bavaria bringing that kind of little bit like, you know, pithiness that's a little bit bitter, but not overly resiny, but still got the mouthfeel and that nice tropical vibe. But, you know, doing the Lunar Haze, which is a double, you know, 8%, which is pretty intense. And that's kind of not easy to do. Um, I recall, I think, was one of the, um, all the other two beers in that pack. No, was it six or four? 
Sticks. Sticks, yeah. So I think the other one you're, you're probably going to refer to was Barry Springer, which was a milkshake IPA as well. Yes, yeah. that one. Uh, it was just such an interesting pack, and I thought it was a great move from you guys because it it's like sometimes you have to flex and show people that, hey, man, like, yeah, cool, we have Cremo. We've been around 25 years, and we've got these uh, brands. We can still do it, though. We can still hang with the people. We still got it. New kids. Exactly. <laughs> so I feel like – I think, I, think I realized – Please go, go ahead. Gary. No, 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 please, finish. Gary, go. I, I was gonna say, I, I think I realized what you're saying pretty close to when I started. We were, the the Moonlight Kettle program was just rolling out, and like talking to all all the craft beer buddies that I have, I, I'd bring them all these Moonlight Kettles because originally when the Moonlight Kettle started, you could only get it at the brewery. It was such mm-hmm. a, a small thing that I'd bring all these beers to my buddies down south and in the city. They're like, well, Muskoka Brewery doesn't make these beers. Why do you, why do you have these beers? You're like, what do you mean? We, I, we just make them. And then, and then that's why now we have at least four releases in the LCBO just, just to broaden that as well. Like, just, yeah. just, like we can do these things, guys. <laughs> yeah. Just because it's not our, our main driver doesn't I mean we don't do that. We have, we have the minds behind to do it. We have the marketing team to market it. We have, we have everything to do it. We just, I mean, hey, it speaks for itself too. Like we, we do do it. <laughs> it's just, it's just not. I, I don't know what to say. It's not a. Right. I don't know how to finish that sentence. It's not our, it's not our driver, I guess. Yeah. It's, innovation is our driver for sure, but it's not, it's not our, our volume play. No. For sure. And not every brewery is going for the volume play as well, right? Like some, you know, the smaller ones who are dealing with the more hype stuff, they're not really going for that volume. They don't have the capacity for that. They're not trying to do that. So I feel like there's, there's, there's definitely a lack of maybe understanding of the, 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 the way that different breweries can, I'm saying this as a marketing, I've been doing marketing forever and I understand this, this, this shit in a way that I think a lot of the, the people who just come into beer and not even really thinking about it are just forgetting that it's a business and that there's certain things you need to do. So things get overlooked or they're just caught up in hype and stuff like that. But I think it's, it's, I don't know. Do you guys look at yourselves as that? Am I even like, am I on the right track by, by considering you guys a gateway brewery that also happens to make some really great stuff? Like if you, if I'm a craft beer nerd and I take my friend who drinks Coors to the Muskoka patio and we're sitting out there and they would be mind blown by the accessible, they have the cream out, they have tread light, but what is this? This is crazy. And then you could slowly ramp them up and I'm sitting there drinking haze and some other stuff and I'm completely satiated as a beer nerd. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that that's how I think of you guys in, and it's extremely positive. It's not a anything negative in any shape or form. Is that how you see yourselves? Is that how you want to be seen perhaps? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we definitely talk that way in terms of some of our, our, our brands, Craig, in terms of gateway brands. And we always, for years we talked about, you know, that, that beer journey that people are on. Like, because what we talked about before is, you know, we don't have all our eggs in one basket. We've got our volume, you know, really spread out with, you know, five or six kind of big horses, and then, you know, a, a lot of little, and probably another ten little little ones after that. But, but the reality is, 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 you know, we don't have all our, you know, we think because of of having a portfolio like that is, is, you know, hopefully there's something you like in there. Yeah, you may not like IPAs, but you might like our craft lager. You might like our, our, you know, detour. You may like our Shanika Stout, your Stout drink, like, what is it? But hopefully somewhere along that journey, wherever you are on that journey, hopefully we have something. Um, and for us, it's a, it's a balance. The reality is, is that, you know, we realized early on 
um, that, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, I think, you know, when I started at Muskoka, craft beer was just over a two share in Ontario. It's now just under a 12 share. Um, so, you know, when you think about that, still, you know, whatever, 88% of, of people are still drinking, of beer drinkers are still drinking macro brands. So, you know, if, if we're going to source volume, if we're going to grow, you know, you know, how do you continue to, like we have successfully done with, with Detour and Tread Daily, how do you continue to pull from that 88%, um, but still keep it fresh and exciting and innovative for the, you know, the, the 12% that have been there the whole way and that love our beer and they're expecting the innovation, expecting the big beers uh, out of us and the barrel-aged stuff and the Imperials and the, because at the end of the day, whenever, you know, you meet somebody new, um, I was talking to a, a, a beer guy from Sweden uh, a couple months ago, and it, I guess because he lives in Ontario and you get used to the business environment, it becomes normal after a while. But when you describe, okay, here's what it's kind of like. You know, there's there's three breweries that, that have that control a 90 share, and there's 350 that 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 you know fight for the other 10 or 12. Um, when you when you frame it that way. But in our minds, in Muskoka, in our team, it's like we've always felt we don't have to be one or the other. Like, how do we continue to have launch innovation like our tread lightly or, or our hard sparkling water that are that are going to play and pull and, and be a great gateway experience for people to kind of step into and and maybe they start there. But then I've got you know and, and Gary too. You know, you I've got lots of friends that that would be would have you know, be spitting out Detour or Mad Tom three or four years ago that, you know, you stop by their house for a barbecue and, and they're drinking a Detour and you're like, since when did you drink Detour? And it maybe, it, it maybe took two or three years to get there because they're like, yeah, you know, hey, Todd, I want to drink your beer. I want to drink the soap that for you, but, you know, the only thing I'm going to drink is your craft lager. And then, you know, next thing you know, there's a couple of years pass and there's a, a Mad Tom in their hand. So, from from that aspect, the, the gateway part of it's super important because it is. Um, if you're enabling that, right? You're enabling, yeah. but 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 what other breweries are 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 doing in on the craft side and the and the, the, the the cool innovation styles and the one thing I've done personally through the pandemic is is I've ordered a lot of of our um, competitors' beers or I wouldn't say just other craft beers online just not only because they're cool styles I'm, I want to try and I think would be awesome. And I usually order a couple so that the brew team can try them too, is, is that I also want to see what their e-commerce platforms like, like how, how is that experience for me as a, as a, a buyer of beer online? Like, was it really easy? Was it complicated? Uh, how did the beer arrive? What was that whole experience like compared to the, the experience that Muskoka is delivering? But, you know, I've kind of been doing that and, and kind of just handpicking every couple of weeks a, 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 a brewery to do it with. And, I've tried some awesome beers and, and they continue as, as we were talking about 2022 planning and the sessions that I was in the last couple of days, you know, we have lots of conversations about these are, this is cool shit we're seeing on the market and, and, you know, other people are bringing that. And that, that doesn't mean that we, because of our size, that doesn't mean that we still can't, you know, bring that stuff out. And, and the difference is, is not everything. I think maybe, maybe, 
you would have a misconception or people have a misconception about, yeah, Muskoka launches it, it's got to be a big volume play. It's got to be like the next detour or tread lightly, but it doesn't. Like in our forecast, we've got a lot of, a lot of brands in our forecast that are maybe 30, you know, 40, 200 hex, whatever, just, you know, one and done because we think that's an area we want to experiment or play. And it, it's more about that and the branding side and the innovation side than it is the volume side. I love that. That's what balances you guys out there. Oh, my camera froze. Let me just uh, switch that one out. There <laughs> we go. There we go. The uh, the big camera died. Um, but no, I think that's what um, I think that's what balances everything out is that you're bringing people into the game. Which, like we're saying, like your example of you going, dude. When you said that, I can think of like three or four people that I know exactly that shat on me for. The craft beer over the years and my brother has turned his i've turned my brother and he's turned a bunch of friends and so on and so forth just continuously and i'm sure i can see you nodding gary i know you've done the same just like oh yeah you know leading by example showing craft beer and if anyone's there back when you could be like oh take a sip of my beer and you didn't get a deadly communicable disease you could <laughs> share that stuff and be like hey man have a sip oh don't be see i'm like oh wow this is not bad i'm like yeah you know have some of this and 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 that is so immensely valuable because the industry doesn't grow if it's not for that. And there's not that many gateway breweries, if I'm really honest. There's really not that many. So that is what's driving the growth of craft beer. In the 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 ones that are doing a hype are sick, but they're already appealing to the converted. They're preaching to the choir. The gateway breweries and with the with the products that you guys have. They're the ones, to, and that barbecue example is the, is the best. I love that so much, and that's really what it's all about. Because every time you see them, they're drinking more and more, and then those people end up converting their friends, and it's this yep. like never-ending chain of people. Because who doesn't? And then the other problem is diversity. That's another conversation. But you know, there's a bunch of white dudes with beards that um, I'm disappointed, Todd. You don't have a beard, so you know that's okay. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> It's mask life now. You can't have beards. It's so oh, hard true. with a mask. That's true. It kind of already just normally comes I've got a big one. Yeah, got the little skin <laughs> go. That's as far as I usually go. <laughs> I res I respect it though. I respect it. But it's usually you know we, you know it, the two ways to expand craft beer is is gateway by bringing uh, macro drinkers in and then bringing in people that aren't typically exposed to craft beer because for some reason it's very whitewashed across the world across the board and it's it's not really it's not cool. So that those are the two ways that you guys are, are most certainly contributing to that growth. And um, I, think that's, I think it's dope. Like I've been rocking with Joel for 10 years since I've been doing this stuff. And it's, um, it's just cool to see the – I like the evolution. That's what I really like from, from both the branding side because that is one thing. And then, two, the, the, the products themselves and moving in. The Moonlight Kettle, I remember I used to get it on tap. There was a bar. We used to run an event in about 2016 at a – a venue called Den, which was on um, College at Bathurst on the corner, pretty much next to um, uh, what's the place called? What's the one on the corner with the, the with the nachos? Something oh, uh, D's. Starts with S. Yeah, sneaky D's. Sneaky D's. My God, I don't know why I had a blank. So it was called the Den. It was next to that, and we used to go after our this brunch hip hop brunch event. We used to run. We go across the street, and I forgot the name of the bar, but they always had the Moonlight Kettle stuff on on tap. So I would always grab whatever they had on tap. This is twenty, yeah, twenty sixteen. Um, I just remember always being, you know, the cucumber goza, um, and like all these type of just fun things that you guys had. That was always at the time, you know, 
by that time I was five years into beer. The podcast had begun. I was pretty beer nerdy, but still, you know, open to different stuff. I just felt like it was just such a great series to complement the rest of the brand. And that really just hit the hit the spot for the for the beer nerds. And then it's cool to see stuff like this that I personally really enjoyed. And when it became a a regular, like, of course, well, you know, it's fire and people appreciate that. So you've been able to to leverage that and parlay that into a into a core brand, and it's I love that. And then even better, it's going to be here in Quebec. It's it's just cool to see that, you know. From <laughs> I don't get to see that very often. I don't get to talk to like I was saying earlier a lot of a lot of folks who have been in it for so long, and and you know who who I've seen change over the years. So it's uh it, it, this is this is fantastic. I love it. It's it's a beautiful story to to see, you know. I think people might might not really know all of these things. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Gary. I was just gonna say, yeah, the the Hayes story. People ask me like, how do you how do you come up with a new beer? And like, it, it's trial and error. You got to test. And and I used Hayes as, as a prime example. Like, it's uh, Todd said, it's it's in its fourth fourth third or fourth year now, uh, and like it's it's growing every year and the marketing, everything's grown behind it. it. It's, it's grown its own legs to stand on now. And just, just to keep pushing it now. But, and, it, and it's, it's growing faster, faster every day. And I, I think that's how you grow a, a major brand is just, you just don't throw it out there and hope it sticks. You, you, the numbers don't lie, right? Like if it keeps growing itself, it then roll with it. I love it. No, it's also because you guys have, a, Oh, please Todd, go. No, to Gary's point, I just, we talk a lot about, you know, because we have a pretty broad portfolio, is like, what is the white space? Like, so, yeah, we could launch something, whatever, you know, but if it's really adjacent to another brand that we have, and there's a lot of cannibalization there, then incrementally, truly, what are you doing other than kind of comp complicating, the, you know, the office? side of the business so it's really about you know doing our diligence just in, and as we you know the funny thing is, is is 25 years later and i have i've only i've only been here for you know over 10 out of 25 but going into our 2022 planning it's like we're more excited than ever there's like again there was when we talk about that portfolio planning there's like there's all these things we want to do but we, we can't do all these things so how do you get it from we're really excited about all these things to we can really only probably execute this many things um and it, it feels like you know there's like for, for for craft and i think the ocd is doing a great job with scott and i'm in, in charge there it just feels like you know coming out of the the pandemic and and the the optimism i think that's going to be in the marketplace and people wanting to get after it um it just feels like that, yeah, there's, there's even after 25 years that, you know, it feels like in a way, it feels funny to say that, but, you know, kind of we're just getting started because, you know, we're, we're just dipping our toes in the, you know, the, the, the RTV space with hard sparkling water and, you know, Tread Lightly's not even a year yet. And it's, you know, one of our biggest brands and, you know, all this innovation that we want to bring, but where does it fit and where does it sit? It's just, just, it's, it's the it's a fun part of the planning process. And 
the discussions are awesome and you have them over beers and um you know where the business goes it's it's kind of strategic and we look at it as kind of you know what do we think for next year but then you know what would the shape of that business look like three years out what's the how's the landscape going to change like if if we were doing this podcast last year at this time you were, you asked me about how's your e-commerce business i'd say it's, i don't know it's about 35 dollars and now it's a legitimate channel where we're pushing significant hex leaders it's, it's i think it's our fourth biggest volume channel now like it's a it's a legitimate channel that a year ago didn't even exist so things are happening that quick and and it's just it's kind of a, re- a really exciting time it's it's tough under lockdown and and kind of this last big push with COVID, but I think coming out, I think there's going to be uh, some good optimism out in the market. And and, and I think it, it could be a, a really good summer and, and, and back half um, for craft beer. I love that. On that note about the, uh, the e-commerce, so I'll say this, even though we're, we're live, I suggested to Val, we did this with Mike and Chris to put together a pack of the beers that we drink tonight. Um, I, I told her pretty late to be yeah. hey, did she tell you? Yeah. So like even if we do it after the fact, I think that's an interesting thing because people don't always consume podcasts and this type of long-form content either live or on yeah. the pod. They, they do it whenever they damn well please, right, or whenever people are ready to consume it. So yep. the amount of beers, I mean, we're about to go to the next one. We're already five deep. Um, we're going hard tonight, boys. It's not messing around. You know, Mad Tom next, I imagine. I think we're there. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about it so long. We have to bring it back. All right. Go grab that. So this, like I said, 2011, I, I, I didn't realize it was 2011. So I remember getting this with Scotty, you know, people, OG BOS folks will remember Scotty. Um, you know, this is a, uh, a, a classic West Coast IPA back when West Coast IPAs were uh, all the rage with the kids. Um, oh, they're coming back. They're coming back, man. I'm going to go grab that. And They're also, coming back. Yeah, hell yeah, they are. Do you want to maybe tell us a bit more? Are you familiar with the story behind this beer? Uh, Todd will probably have a bit more, but I can I can definitely talk about it for sure. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear a little more about like when it sort of came about. Actually, I want to actually hear this because I know I got to piss but and I got to get the beer, but I do want to hear the story. <laughs> um at the very least, this one now, it's, I can't believe it's 10 years. It just doesn't feel like it, it's been around for that long. Like, I just... Yeah, crazy. the whole craft beer scene has just evolved so much in that 10 years, too. Like, it's it, it's insane. It, it's like a whole different lifetime of, of beer since it came out. Like, it's nuts. I, guess I, I don't even know what West to say. Coast. Yeah, man. And I guess West Coast had that run up until 2016, I reckon. And that's when they uh, I'd say, yeah, 2016 is when it all started, I think, for the, for the, the Hazy Boys. The haze. Yeah, exactly. Late 2016 and then coming in for that. Um, I'm going to go grab it. But do you guys want to maybe just talk a bit about the story behind, like, when this one came about and what the the general vibe was? What, like, why this beer was decided that, you know, you guys were going to make this sort of really at – the, at the time, I guess we're going to find out if, we, if it's still a punch in the face. But at the time, I remember just being like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Um, yeah. And how yeah, it absolutely. And uh, I'll let Todd take the, rain, Todd take yes, the reins yes. on the, uh, the story for the man, the myth, the legend of Mad Tom. He can definitely uh, give the whole backstory there. 
Yeah. Um, so 20, 2010, I think it was, I think it was the, the CBC in the States was in um, uh, San Francisco at the time. That was before I started with Muskoka. And, uh, and I think Gary and the team uh, back then really saw uh, this kind of emergence of these, you know, super hoppy, really bitter West Coast style IPAs on the West Coast. And there was really not anything like it in Canada or Ontario at that time. And, uh, and, and I think also maybe realizing that, that Muskoka needed something new and a bit of a refresh to tie into the new branding that was going to come out in 2011. And I think, I think in terms of the, the stylistic, I think that was determined pretty early in terms of, you know, wanting to be a true West Coast style IPA in terms of, you know, the, the hop profile and the, and the bitterness and the IBUs. And, but I think that the, the hardest part, I think, was naming the beer. There was lots of back and forth. Uh, and that's kind of when I first arrived on, on, on why Mad Tom. And we had some fun with it in, a couple, in some marketing campaigns a couple of years ago is, is why was it Mad Tom and the character? And, and, you know, there's different stuff about there's, you know, a, a Mad Tom catfish that, that's unique to the Muskoka area. Is it, is it, is it about, Tom Thompson, you know, when he went mad in Algonquin Park. Uh, uh, there's 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 three or four different kind of myths, uh, and you know we're not really going to say which one it is in terms of <laughs> you know, how we landed on the name Mad Tom, but it, it kind of was just something that stuck, and uh, you know we went with it, and it, it it took a you know you know like Craig said that first punch in the mouth, I I felt the same thing. I was lucky. Uh, when I joined Muskoka in early 2011, there was a guy that's still on our sales team that's on our sales team, John Graham. And uh, you want to talk about a guy that knows craft beer, you know, you pretty much can go to any brewery in North America and, and say, you know, John Graham, and they probably do. I went on a whole bunch of beer trips, especially in those first five or six years. And, uh, you know, I you know, would call John and say, I'm, you know, going to Philadelphia, I'm going to Washington, I'm going to San Diego, and say, you got to go here, and then say hi to this guy, and, and ask for her, and, you know, he's, John was so connected and so knowledgeable uh, about the craft beer scene back in my early days, and, you know, 2011 to 2012, 2013, I was just kind of learning it all, and figuring it all out, and immersing it, and, and, and drinking as much of it, as, and seeing as much, and experiencing as much of it as I could, but, you know, John was a, a real big, I think, help in that process. And, and, you know, when it came to Mad Tom and, and saying, you know, you know, we want to kind of be the first in, into that on a West Coast style IPA in Ontario, it, it took a while. And I remember talking to some of our, like, our sales reps down in London, Andy Marshall. And he's like, I, I can't give this stuff away. Like, no, they're not having it. Yeah. Wow. Um, it took a while and uh, you know finally places where doors were being shut opened up and uh it's been a kind of a, a cool journey I'll, I'll turn it over to you in a sec here you maybe talk a little bit more about the beer because we did evolve the beer a little bit from the original yep. mad tom recipe that we launched in 2011 but i was going to ask you um uh craig do you do you know do you know john graham on our sales team Have you no, met john? I actually, no i don't no i haven't 
Yeah, you got to meet him. Okay. So John, John's the man. Everyone knows John. He's, yeah, I was just saying, in terms of my beer education and kind of getting indoctrined early and in terms of, of, of the craft scene, he's the type, he's the guy, him and his wife, Tia, like you, you'll pick a, you know, put a pin on a map and say, I'm going to this city anywhere in North America. And he'll say, you need to go here, 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 and ask for her, him and her. And, and like, he, he's, is. I think all of their vacations, probably since I've known him 10 plus years, have been beer vacations. So, uh, yeah, he's that's amazing. He's been super awesome along the way, and just a great guy in terms of you know beer and a good sounding board for us in terms of our uh, beer. So uh, maybe Gary, you can talk to kind of how Mad Tom was launched, and then kind of maybe some tweaks that we had done to, uh, to the liquid. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh to John Graham, every time I talk to him, I'm, I'm learning something new about the beer industry and world, which is kind of shocking for a brewer because I think I know everything. And then you're just like, oh, wow, that's actually really amazing. Why don't I talk to you more? Um, but yeah, so so Mad Tom uh, originally came out just to be very much a West Coast IPA, 64 IBUs, uh, Chinook Centennial. Uh, just that punch-in-the-mouth bitterness, uh, pine, like you're just eating a pine cone. And that's what we all loved back in the day, that bursting aroma of pine. Uh, Todd tells me every day it doesn't smell the way it used to. I think we've all just evolved as people. Um, but uh, obviously it's gone through some revamps to, to stay relevant, uh, especially recently in the last 16 months now, I think. Um, we've, we've brought the bitterness down a little bit. All, all the hops, all the malts are still the same, but we, we just brought the bitterness down to not be so so punchy and I think I don't know if it was the pandemic or, or the recipe tweak but Mad Tom took off again last year like it I think we oversold Mad Tom than we expected by far um and it's I, I was going to kind of talk to it about earlier when you're saying how people are bought up, up packing light beers we, we saw up packs and light beers but we also saw Mad Tom just going flats like nobody's business so I think they just wanted to get it done <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's definitely evolved over the years, just just to stay relevant. It, it has to, right? It's it's a ten year old beer. It's gotta it's gotta stay relevant, and uh, it, it's a good staple beer. It, it's it's not going anywhere. No, um, but I am a big I am a big fan of West Coast IPAs are coming back. Yeah, I think they really and I'm going to be at the forefront. No, do you? This is an interest. I was want to tell you guys. This was kind of funny to me. Um, do you remember? When did you reduce the bitterness? Was it in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it was one one was the exact date. It would have been less than two years for sure. Less than two years, okay. Yeah. So I was used to this beard being like I was saying, punch in the mouth. And yep. um we've been we've done a series, maybe eight or so videos on BOS um of blind taste testing. And the idea is uh I'd sometimes done them by myself and I just tend to just go into the fridge. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I tell her if there's anything she can't take because I need to do some stuff on that, but otherwise grab something. Yeah. So I remember doing one. I, I want to say it was about a year or so, like early 2020 or late 2019. And one of the things in the <clears throat> blind taste testing was mad Tom and blind. And to be fair, I'm pretty shit at it. I've, I've nailed a couple of them, but overall I'm not, the greatest at the blind taste test. It's much harder than people think. If you, I imagine you guys have done it a bunch, but I'm talking like 
blindfolded and you kind of hold your hand out and you know i have yep. no clue what the hell is being served to me <laughs> i i thought this was a lager it, and i was extraordinarily embarrassed because of my history with this beer when when i realized what it was and i had people standing up for me strangely on youtube comments being like oh it's okay like it's a malt forward west coast ipa so i can see how you would confuse that um i just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on that because I, I always found that annoyed i was mad at myself for messing that up and not pick how the hell can you mess up a west coast ipa and confuse it for a goddamn lager like come on so i was mad at myself but because i think it wasn't like if, if todd you you were saying it's not what it used to be and like you said it makes sense because that bitter punch it just people weren't looking for that anymore so i can understand that it doesn't make sense to continue to make it that way and all the best beers evolve anyway so it is what it is but and maybe my can that I had was a little older, so it didn't have that piney, citrusy punch that it yeah. might have. Plus, also, you're removing a sense. And I've been tricked many a time into the style as well, so it wasn't the first yeah. time. I was just mad at myself for this specific beer because I know it so well. Um, I'm curious if you had any thoughts on, on that sort of level of confusion from my dumbass. Did you try drinking it afterwards not blindfolded? Yeah, of course. Or, or like, not blindfolded? Yes, and I was like, oh, my God, of course it's that. So immediately okay, I that's, tell that. Okay, that makes me feel a little better then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was that um, blind thing. I just couldn't. And, I, and drinking it again now, and I don't know if I've had it since that time. I swear it was like February, like right, because I remember I had it with a friend right before everything shut down, like sort of early okay. mid-February. So it could have been a, a an older can potentially where that sort of – punchiness had slightly dropped a little which happens with these type of beers of course but yeah i just thought it was an interesting uh observation i think when we tweaked it craig and then we like to to gary's point we it was more about you know time of hop additions wasn't about changing any hops around or anything it was really about it you know you know hopefully it wasn't about the nose and it wasn't about the you know the, the 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 piney citrusy notes that you get from grapefruit, but it was more about the finish. It was more about just backing off the back end a little bit. Yeah, it was just it's we wanted all the, the good things that kept Mad Tom, and then still to stay true, then it's got like Mad Tom's still a bitter guy. It's got to be West Coast. Yes. So our IBUs came down a little bit, but it was really more about how it finished, just a a little bit less on the back end because yeah, a cleaner finish. I see that. Yeah. Mad Tom, it wasn't, you know, it was, it is kind of flatlined. It was, you know, it was still a big volume brand for us, but it was like, it wasn't growing. And, and I think with any, I think, you know, you, you have to do that even with a, an old, old brand like Cream Ale. I think you, you, you got to, you know, how do you, we have those conversations even around our, you know, Detour, our biggest brand is, 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 is it as, as good as it can be? Is, is there, we do trials on how do we actually improve detour and stuff. I think it's an evolution. And so we tried, you know, the, the version of Mad Tom that you're drinking against, you know, the version before that, that had, a, you know, a lot similar, I would say up front, but, but just, I think all of us said that, yeah, yeah, where the market's going and for us personally, we like the way that this finish is a little better and, and we went that way. That makes sense. And has the, have you seen a, um, 
a different response to the beer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Gary referred to it. Matt Thomas. Yeah, there's definitely a positive response for sure. Interesting. Okay. Do you guys think then, in the spirit of, and I really do appreciate the fact that you guys are happy to iterate and sort of you know let the brands grow with the taste of the market because I think that's super important as well that you don't get too romantically attached to this is what Mad Tom was and it'll always be that because when people don't care about that, it's going to disappear. Um, do you think it could ever? You know, that pendulum could swing back and maybe you could just be like, oh, but, you know, people are fiending for more West Coast, you know, piney resin. We could dial it up a little bit or is is that not a possibility for this brand? I, I'm i seeing more West Coast. Are you not? Is it just me or does it feel like? Oh, there's way more. Like, way yeah, more. it feels like more that you're seeing. And uh, there's a thirst. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's. I'm probably funny because we talked about this before, you know, Craig, once you have a, a portfolio and you drink around that portfolio, it's like, yeah, you know, I haven't, and it's, it's like, I felt like I wasn't coming back to Mad Tom for a while. And I probably, maybe because of the pandemic, I've, I've probably drank more of Mad Tom in the past maybe six or eight months than I have in the past three or four years prior, just because I'm, I'm really liking the, the profile right now yeah i really like it yeah no i agree i think there's there's more west coast coming and uh, i've said it three times already i think west coast are going to come back pretty strong Uh, but with that it's 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 evolved once already Uh, i don't see why it couldn't evolve again to go back to not not to where it was but even even a better version than it was was before it's time time keeps going and things have to go with it right so yeah if that's if that's what the market wants, then you'd be happy. As, I, I personally don't see absolutely. Um, uh, I liked it when it was sixty four IBUs. I liked it where it's at now, and I think yeah. I think the market will reflect that as well. It's funny whether it's uh, because of the pandemic and what you referred to before, Craig, is it a nostalgia thing or whatever? But it, it feels like, and I've had this experience with um, with 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 Fat Tug and Two Hearted and. It's like you go back to it and you're like, uh, like, like you miss it. It's like, wow, yeah. this is a beer. Like, this is kind of, it's funny because I, I think they've gone out of business or been sold or whatever, but, but I think one of the, in my early days in craft, you know, probably back in, in 2011 or 2012 was, was one of those beer trips on the West Coast was Green Flash. Like, mm. I can't remember, uh, you know, they had this wicked West Coast IPA and they just, to me, that embodied what a, what an IPA should be, and it was, you know, it really fueled that love of, of IPAs. And you know, there's there's some good ones, and I I'm kind of with with Gary. You wonder if down the road, because there'd be so many on the market, is there going to be, you know, things are sometimes cyclical. Is there going to be some hazy fatigue, and and because of the nostalgia and some things that maybe the pandemic have brought on, are people going to really go back to some of those OGs or or even New West Coast, and say, I just from a stylistic point of view, that that's a that's a great beer. Hmm. I like that. I, we were in San Francisco at the end of 2019, so a few months before the pandemic, and we went up to Russian River. I got to drink Pliny from the source, and I just, yep. I just, it's just impeccable. It's just insane, and it, it renewed that um, love of, of West Coast IPAs in a way that you know it, it just. 
it's just glorious. So I feel like even with the haze, and I'm a haze boy and self-admitted, I love it. But man, I could go for a, a fire-ass West Coast, uh, you know. You need balance. Everything's balanced, man. Like you want the crazy yeah. tropical haze. It's beautiful and it's great. It genuinely is great. But you need that other side. You need that like I kind not necessarily want my tongue ripped off like I used to, but you know, give me a little tap in the in the cheek. You know, give me a little chin. Yeah, tap I, I don't want to be knocked out on the floor, but I want to. <laughs> I want a little love. I want a little love to the face. A little something for sure. A little something. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, and and that's just shows like you're saying. If, if this is selling, then people have that appetite for it. So. Yeah. It's really great. And then I actually wanted to ask, I don't know if we'll, we'll drink it. It's up to you guys if you want to crack it. But the double mad, Tom. Oh, yeah. When, when did that Nightcap. come? Pardon? Nightcap. Nightcap. I like your thinking, Tom. <laughs> as soon as I saw your face, I was like, I like this guy. He knows. Um, <laughs> when you know when, when did that one come in? And, and what's the deal with that beer? Because I kind of, I, I don't specifically recall. But it wasn't immediately, right? It was a little bit after. Yeah, it was in around, um, I'd say, 2013, uh, kind of maybe it started developing. It was, um, you know, Mike Lava, who you, you, who you spoke to from the Craft Brand Co., you know, he was a big part of a lot of those early days at Muskoka, and, and uh, him and I hit it off right off the bat, and, and that concept was kind of born few beers I think him and I having one night saying you know we were we had, I think we had been on a couple of trips down to the states and we tried some really good imperials and we, we wondered about you know the line extension had Tom and and then we felt that there at that point there there wasn't a lot of you know, double or imperial IPAs in Ontario and we, it was we launched it we launched it in a bottle with a four pack I can remember that uh, I remember standing at the, at the brewery having that and then it's been kind of a bit of a sleeper, I would say, Gary, that it's been kind of, it was, I think maybe still is one of our highest beers on Raid Beer. Um, it's, it's a beer that we've never really put any, you know, marketing weight behind. It's just kind of been part of the stable. It kind of, you know, maybe flat one year, grows a little bit one year, declines the next year. It's, it's never been a, a huge volume play, but it's always been a good part of our portfolio. Um, it's a it's a great beer and and we talked about this again as part of looking at industry trends and what's going on like what's what's going on with imperial IPAs in the states right now is insane and it's the it's the polarity that is that that we're trying to to, to get a handle on in terms of um, you're seeing almost you know, polar opposite trends and I don't know if the the pandemic's driving that but you're seeing this like uh, health and wellness better for you. Mm. You know, tread lightly, low ABV, uh, you know, low-cal beers, low ABV beers, super sessionable beers, you know, growing. And, and, then, and then you're seeing this massive growth of big, like, imperial IPAs. And, and um, you know, it's, it's crazy to see that how, how many of them in some in the States, some of the volume that they're driving, it's almost like, there's not much in the middle, but you're either like you're down there in terms of super session ability, maybe lower ABV, maybe a, a, a better for you play. And then it's like, you know what, if I'm going to indulge, I'm not going to indulge in an average way. I'm going to indulge. I'm going to indulge going in hot. a big way. And, and, and going hard. trying to forget. <laughs> People are treating themselves and saying, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm, I'm not driving. I'm at home. I'm not going anywhere. 
Um, not like I'm going to have it on tap and get in my car and drive home, but you know, if I want a, you know, an, an 8% Imperial, you know, I kind of deserve it and I'm going to treat myself to that. Yeah. I love it. Do you know what? As I was, uh, as you were talking, I just checked on untapped when I first checked into it. And I don't know if you saw, if you see this here, it was July, 2012. I said, love it. My fave new IPA. That was the original <laughs> Mad Tom back then. And I had the twice as Mad Tom in, uh, it's next year, uh, May 29th, 2013. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, back, uh, back when things were, man, I don't know. This is really cool to see. Cause I was like, fuck, man, this is a while back. Like having this stuff. Those were Those were just, everything was exploding. It was like, you're, you're just, it was, those were fun. That was fun. It was. And then like at the time, even just the way that I wrote, like, love it, multiple exclamation marks. Like, you know, that like obviously had an impact. It was July, 2012. This was like a couple weeks before I left Ontario and moved to Montreal actually. But like it, like obviously at the time, like having that, knowing you can get this kind of flavor locally is, is, you know, meant a lot. And it was kind of mind blowing to just be like, yo, this is crazy. I can just go to the LCBO and get this shit that's on par with the stuff we just went to Michigan for. We just went to Buffalo for or whatever. Like that is, that is, that is super cool. And I think this beer really had a, a, a big impact on the scene in Ontario at the very least, you know, as far as what it meant. So I love that you did do that double and I can understand it being a sleeper, but if it, is it still to this day, you say your number one, like highest rated or was it the time? I, you know, it, I think, I think double chocolate was too, wasn't it Gary for a while? Like trading. I, I think sure. the double chocolate was, yeah. I don't, I don't really follow rate beard too much to be honest. Or, you, um, or like untapped or anything. I guess it's kind of similar stuff, though, right? I'm a brewer. I don't want to read reviews. No, you sh- you <laughs> should not read reviews. People are off there. Nope. <laughs> it's not worth it. It really isn't. People, uh, some of the stuff I see on here, I'm like, yo, hang on, you guys did a cognac barrel aged version? Yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yo, you guys yeah. did some crazy versions of this stuff. Yeah, you did a, a ginger and grapefruit. Chili peppers and the Zaka hops? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, so these are all brew pub only stuff, I imagine. Just fun stuff for the for the kids. Just fun little things, okay. yeah. Or uh, so, sometimes we'll send them to uh, the cask fests and stuff, little things yeah. like that, where all that gets put on untapped, right? So Yeah. No, that's good. I love it. Um, do you want to do twice? Are we looking? We're almost three Let's, hours. I knew we'd be having it. Get it in here. I like your attitude, Let's man. Get in India. Let's go. I got to rock a pitch first, though. Yeah, yeah, rock that. I got <laughs> this. Don't worry. Yeah, guys, honestly, this tripped me out. Just seeing this, like, you know, check-ins from, from back in the day. This is this is fucking awesome. Uh, so is it still 8.4? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it hasn't changed much, to be honest with you. It's, um, it's... So 8.4. Um, do you know what the hops are in this one? Ooh, yeah, look at that. Do you know what the hops are, Todd? Yeah, I think it's got the same base as, as Mad Tom. It's got, it, 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 we did, so we changed the recipe, and I'm trying to remember, Gary's going to have to help me with this. Originally, when we talked about this beer, um, Craig, I think we, it, we had, um, it, was a, it was five hops. Like we, it was, we used five different hop additions in this beer. 
And then we kind of evolved it a little bit in terms of, um, you know, where we wanted to go. I think the thing with this beer that we talk about a lot is that the weird thing with this beer is that that it's an imperial as opposed to Mad Tom, but because of the the higher alcohol, which I think adds a little bit to the sweetness, okay. is that there's people that say, I don't like Tom, but Mad Tom is less bitter, but most people drink this twice as mad. Because, right. um, so Gary, Craig had a question in regards to hops, and I remember we first launched this beer in 2013 because we used to talk about it in the marketing that it was, it was five hops, five you know hops that we use in terms of the you know of course the, the backbone of the, the hops that we use in Malcolm, but we've changed that since, right? Yeah, it, it's not five hops anymore. It's uh. What do we got here? We got Columbus, uh, Cascade, and some Chinook. Okay, like super yeah. West Coast style hops. Yep. We're not even messing around. Oh, yeah. It's definitely TV. geared more towards the West Coast. Um, on paper and, and testing, it is uh, a lot higher IBU than even Mad Thong, but like the alcohol is going to hide that for sure. Gotcha. I like that. You're not even like pretending like it's trying to be anything else. It's just straight West Coast the whole way. Yeah, I love that. Happy with that. Got to make sure we get the content along the way. Boys, cheers. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's a bit deeper. It's just, just, again, we we don't do a lot of it, but it, it's always kind of, it's just always there. It's just, we rely on it, and it does consistent volume for us. And Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I can see why. Like, I feel like this is, it's super smooth, my God. When's the last time you had one? According to this, I thought I was pretty on top of Untap. This actually says this was the one and only time, which was May 29th, 2013. I don't know if I believe oh. that. Oh, and it says I had it at Palais de Congrès Montréal, which was at a beer festival here. How did I try Mad Tom at a beer festival here for the first time? That doesn't make sense. So I'm <laughs> May 29th. That was when my friend from Australia was here. We specifically were at um, it's called uh, oh my god, I have a blank. The main beer festival in what's it called? Mondial, Mondial. Uh, beer like the world. Oh, right, yeah. Mondial de la bière. Yeah. You so, had it, Gary. You remember? Because, you know, with the hops being the three C's, do you remember what, when we launched, we weren't around, I know, but do, do you remember what the other hops would have been? I don't know. I think that was even changed before I got there. Okay. Yeah, because maybe it was a, a different. Do you remember pouring at that festival? Like, you guys were at the, that must have been pretty... Like it was a lot of festivals ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of festivals ago. Like yeah, I, I was kind of blending the one big festival. At, at, at the but I don't know. I don't remember. Like because we weren't selling in Quebec, I would be surprised that we were. Usually, you know, we'd be at a festival to kind of hmm. try to create some buzz and excitement around the beer, so that we could, you know, sell drive. locally. Yeah. Sometimes they have these importer like. T not tents, but whatever, like desks or whatever. So they'll have stuff from elsewhere in Canada and around. So maybe I saw it 
And I specifically remember that date because my friend from Australia was in town. I was living at my old place at the time. I, I hadn't moved here that long beforehand, like less than a year. And I must have seen it and been like, oh, shit, there's like a double version. And immediately gone for that because that, that sounds like me. Because Mad, Mad Tom was such a big deal for me less than a year before, um, you know. So if I was able to get my hands on the double version, I, I of course would have been uh, super stoked for it. And at the time, I was ex like we were students. So I was like broke, broke. Um, you know, we moved here, we're learning French and stuff. I was trying to just stay in the country, so I wasn't going to Ontario to be able to get it. So that kind of adds up for me. That makes sense. That actually kind of funny when you really think about it, because I remember that date. It was on a a bus, like a we bus. When we pour this Craig at beer shows, I, I remember that, you know, maybe people would try Mad Tom and then they'd be like twice as mad and they go, ah, you know, that one's bitter enough for me. Like, ah, there's no way I'm going above and beyond that. And I was like, <laughs> actually, it's a little, you might find it's a little smoother and sweeter and you're not going to get the, the kick that you get. Yeah. So there's, like I said, there's, there's, I know people that aren't huge, huge fans in terms of their, their favorite beers, maybe not Mad Tom, but they're like, yeah, give me a twice as mad any day. They just, it's that, I think it's that the warmth of, of the alcohol and a bit more sweetness that just rounds it out a little bit more maybe. Yeah, it definitely is a, is a little sweeter. This is, yeah, this is the OG. Yeah, definitely sweeter. This one's kind of piney, actually. No? Hmm. So this one is a little sweeter. A little less piney, I guess that piney resinous vibes. Yep. I'm gonna try that. And as much, and you can even tell like this color is kind of like a deep. I mean, obviously the other one's fresher out the fridge, but a little more of a deeper copper amber kind of uh, color going on there. Whereas the twice as mad is a little more on the golden. Yeah, right. Yep. No, it's a, it's a lighter color for sure. A lot, definitely a lighter color. So it's it's giving me different kind of vibes so i see exactly what you're saying todd that some people who would not enjoy the pioneer sort of side of things would probably take it twice which is dangerous like that's dangerous for 8.4 percent and to be that smooth you guys are uh problematic and i'm here for it i love it <laughs> gary, gary, it's all gary's fault so gary's fault god damn it gary what are you uh, doing? I try. I try real hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> Someone's got to do it, right? Someone has to do it. No, it's super cool, man. I mean, you guys, are, this has been really cool to get like the perspective of, of everything you guys are, are doing. And, and it's it's quite eclectic when you really think about it from all the different styles and where it came from to, to where it was in the middle of where it is now. Um, you know, even including just, you know, fun new additions like the, uh, the sparkling hard waters and stuff like that. Um, it's super cool. You guys are always innovating and always just doing really fun stuff. And uh, I, I think what you what you contribute to the Ontario craft beer scene is very valuable. And, um, and I always commend you guys for it. You guys Thank are just you. always just being like just genuine people. And um, every time I've ever dealt with any, I haven't met I'm, like until now. I wish I met you guys earlier, but you know, like I knew this was going to be a great conversation. I think Todd, we were actually supposed to talk and do a podcast a few years ago. That was before Val and before Sarah. And I didn't work out. I forgot why. Because we were supposed oh. to come up and we couldn't make it up there. It was something like that. I'm talking like three, four years ago. 
So it was something I always wanted to have you guys on just to hear the story because it's, you know, for someone like me, you've been doing, you know, what the podcast has been six years, but the, you know, little selfie things, 10 years. And, and, um, at the time, 10 years ago, it doesn't sound like that long ago, but things were so different back then. They were, the, yeah. Yeah, right. Like we were saying, the few breweries that were around back then really, you know, imprint on you, I guess, for lack of another word. And, you know, you just really have like a, a permanent soft spot for that, you know, half a dozen breweries that really introduce you to, to what Canadian beer could be and, and, and to see all of, you know, you guys going so strong after so long it's it's a beautiful thing you know it's not easy to make a business that successful and continue that success um particularly in a, in a fickle industry like craft beer and something that there isn't a shit ton of money in you know that is like you were saying there were only 12 percent of you know canadian craft beer. The whole no, market, you know yeah. what i thought 12 percent was the american if i'm not mistaken even it could even be less here in canada but Either way, it's not a lot. It's I was barely. talking Ontario. Ontario You're talking Ontario. Ontario. Okay, yeah. you would you would obviously know those figures. I I remember yeah. hearing eleven three. Eleven three. Okay, beautiful. You would know the updated one. So either way, it's barely in the double figures, right? So there's we have such a long way to go, and and to, to, you know to see you guys get to the point where you're able to, you know, for, you know have train station ads and billboards and things like that to, to really promote these products to the masses that are going to convert people away from these other macro brands to bring them into the craft beer family and then work through all your brands and, you know, find things they like and then, you know, keep, continue to explore that, that is invaluable. Like that, 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 that service is very important to the growth of craft beer and you guys really truly deserve your flowers for that because it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And that's why I really want to make sure we try and get people to understand is what, what that contribution is worth. It's worth more than most people could possibly imagine. Um, so thank you guys for the work you do. It's, it's genuinely appreciated. Cheers. For real. Yep. I like that. Yeah, thank get you. That in yep. Lots of good supporters along the way. And, um, you got to do this in person. Like we got, you got to, whether it's on a, you know, coming down to Montreal sometime this summer as part of a, a road trip and looking up for a, a beer, or if you do yes. find your way to back to Ontario and, 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 and uh, we've got a big new patio extension going on this year. We're going to have a, this kind of cool, really post and beam kind of big kind of, this, our patio is exposed and open, but we're going to have this, Kind of enclosure where it's going to be a it's kind of a really cool kind of feeling like you're coming into the cottage with scope experience so if we can get you up there we'd love to have you and, and oh, host man. you for a beer or two yeah. oh i would i will 100 percent keep in touch i have i have your email so if you guys are ever in town please let me know i would absolutely love to to meet up with you guys even if we can only hang out in a park because everything is closed here but uh we're allowed to do that and have a beer um, I know I would, I really want to get out there. It's, it's definitely, uh, you know, some, I've always wanted to see the actual, the, the, the big brewery and see what's going on out there and, and check out the patio. It sounds amazing. So hopefully if all goes well, that things will chill out at least that, you know, the good people of Ontario and Quebec can have some sort of, uh, you know, well, enjoy. In, uh, probably since last time you were there, Craig, at least even if 
you know, we'd love to give you the tour of the brewery and and the changes in the expansion, but um, yeah. you can do a pretty good beer tour in Muskoka now. Like there's a, even probably since your last road trip, there's a few more that have popped up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. The last time yeah. I think we were there was we, we did a collaboration with Sawdust City in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. So that was the last time we, and that's when I went to the Griffin. So that was the. Yeah. How were you the next morning? It was, uh, I, I passed out at like 11 p.m. And I'm, I'm a vampire. So that was, I was dead. We, I was, I wanted to eat before the podcast. And he was like, no, 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 no. And he didn't want to do, I love Santa death. He's crazy. He was like, yo, let's, I don't want to drink my beer. Let's do a bottle share for the podcast. This was back when you could hang out in person. So we were like, okay. So we brought like half a dozen beers. Cause I didn't know, but literally the entire sort of stuff with it. There was like. 90 beers on this table and during the podcast it was rowdy and there was like 20 people in the room and they were just like pouring up with a whole i've never experienced anything like that we're out of control and we didn't get to eat and then we got i didn't remember how we got back to the to where we were staying and i was i was done it was it was a good it was a good time yeah that's part of the course and if you get with yeah sam is a, a lot of fun you guys just thought us are doing some awesome stuff and uh yeah, the Griffin on a Thursday night uh, with Jed and Kurt and the live music, and they get that place going. It, it's uh, yeah, yeah, those are the things you said. Simple things. Yeah. Those are some of the things that we really miss. Just being able to you know hit a patio or yeah, like for those of us that spend lots of time in Bracebridge and Muskoka, like you know the Griffin on a Thursday night with Jed and Kurt, like that's a staple. Yeah, man. Even just it's a rough way. Friday morning is what that is. <laughs> Particularly for you, bro, when you got to, you know, you oh, yeah. the brewery uh, at ridiculous <laughs> o'clock. It's, it's, it's wild. No, I, I really want to get back. Um, I truly appreciate both your time. Do you know what we need to do? First and foremost, we need to take a thumbnail for this video. So I'm going to take a screenshot. Do you want to hold up some, uh, some beers whilst I uh, you want take cans that? or beers? Well, let, let's get some product placement because I was even thinking I might, I might go this bad boy because I have it right here. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, here we go. You ready? There you go. Cheers up. Ready? Oh, that is gorgeous. Oh my gosh, I'm putting that on a Christmas card. That work? That is beautiful. Um, stick. I'm gonna wrap this up. Stick around after we finish off, and we'll uh, we'll finish up. But. Uh, gentlemen, both, thank you genuinely for your thank time. You. This has been a, a fantastic chat. I knew it was going to be dope. This is uh, this is phenomenal. Um, where can we find either you guys individually or and or uh, Muskoka Brewery online? Yeah, Muskoka Brewery, www.muskokabrewery.com. Gary, do you want to give your coordinates? Uh, I mean, I've kept it pretty quiet, but sure. Uh... <laughs> Let me look it up first. I got to find out. I'm not a big social media guy. It's okay. Uh, well, it's, it's at Muskoka Brewery on Instagram. You guys have nearly 70,000 followers. Oh, my god! You goodness. got it. That is ridiculous. Just say that guy, Gary. Just, just like follow Muskoka and just be like, Gary's pretty. Let me talk to him. Exactly. You got it. And they'll hook you up. Um, no, this is amazing, guys. <laughs> uh, thank you both so much for your time. This is This is awesome. Um, yeah, stick around and we'll, we'll wrap it up. But everybody, thank you so much for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe below, hit the notification bell so you know when the new drops. 
Follow us on social media at BOS Podcast and check out the long form audio where you can hear attractive individuals like Gary and Todd talk about craft beer every week. We typically go live every Friday. Oh, see? That. That's in you, bro. That's in your blood. Uh, we go live typically every Friday at 9 p.m. We've got a few bonus episodes on Thursday. This week, we're just Thursday. We are not here tomorrow. We'll be back next Thursday. Guys, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you in the next episode. Get in here.